Blog Talk Radio. There shall be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, and pestilences. Men's hearts failing them for fear for that which is coming upon the earth. Where do you look? Where do you turn? Where will you get the truth? You turn to the Johnny Storm Show, where you will find truth, and the truth will make you free. Welcome to the Johnny Storm Show. And welcome indeed to the Johnny Storm Show. Right here on 217.16, going backwards now. (laughs) And I'm, of course, your host, Johnny Storm, and we have a special guest tonight. Um, Calls himself Ernie, the Montana natural man. I think I got that right. Yes, indeed. And I'll let you, since you said you were going to bear the burden of spelling and pronouncing your last name, I'll let you go ahead and do that part. <laughs> okay. My uh, name is uh, Ernie Wayne Tertelkta. It's an old German name that I've tracked uh, with a little assistance to the year of 1238 outside of Dresden, Germany. Uh-huh. At that time... In the day, in the 12th century, there was a very large grove of very old oaks there. The ground was very fertile. There was plenty of game. Uh, So a bunch of heathens, from which I sprang from, (laughs) chose to settle there and begin an early day farm. And uh, that's the roots of my name. My last name literally means of the ancient oaks. All right. That's awesome. See, ladies and gentlemen, he is... A cornucopia of research. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to talk about the Constitution versus the corporate charter. Um, this is a subject that my listeners are very interested in, and myself as well. I give Ernie all the credit for, uh, well, at least half the credit for waking me up to this. Uh, Randy Shannon, a guest I had a couple of weeks ago and a frequent guest on the show, is also very well versed in what we're going to talk about tonight, and she may call in. If she has time. So, anyway, with that being said, um, how did you get involved in discovering this, and why did you do it? I mean, what drove you to do all this research? Well, I guess it comes from uh, you got to have it within you. It's got to be in your blood because uh, persons like me, which is a trick word, beware of the word persons, <laughs> people like me are internally driven. What we do is not for external gain. There's, uh, it's not about stacks and heaps of silver or gold or whatever else. It's about knowing the actuality of what is done and was it good or bad and what can we do about it as a result. So let me back up a little bit. As a child, the product of a uh, farm mom and dad, uh, I... It was shown that early on I had a you know, incredible ability that was beyond the pale for the capacity of reading, memorization, and comprehension. By the time my fourth year on Earth had come around, I had the ability to read without any problem all the list of the carbohydrates that uh, were on the back of the various cereal boxes and such things. This continued on, and by the time I was in sixth grade in our little one-room schoolhouse, uh, they were ordering in senior-level college reading materials for me because I absolutely burned up everything else. Wow. 
So it's, you know, I'm not out here to polish my name. I'm just a man of the land. I'm an American who's heartbroken to death of the crap that's being done to our people. Uh, I've shed tears beyond belief over the tragedies, such as the recent tragedy that befell Lavoy Finnicum much earlier times with Red Beckman back in the day. On and on it goes. And that that brings us to the elephant in the room, which we talked about right before the show, uh, Lavoy Finnicum. I know you had something that you wanted to speak directly to them. I yes. can't guarantee you that they're listening, but yes. uh, I do know that they're aware of the show. So yes. Uh, Go right ahead. Okay. That being said, and pardon me, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm I'm very wordy, so uh, feel free to govern how long <laughs> I speak. Believe you me, I can go for days at this. I deal with Stuart Rhodes, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stuart, I had to rip on you a little bit. <laughs> that being said, I do indeed wish to uh, speak directly to the family of Lavoy Finnicum, the family of Red Beckman, and Gordon Cole and Randy Weaver and the countless others whose names are there. We all, one by one, have been taken in massive fraud and deception. And I haven't seen anybody in my lifetime be able to really collocate where it came from, to be able to pinpoint it, to be able to say with precise accuracy, evidenced by history as to this is what is done to us. That being said, I volunteered for this job when I uh, was robbed of my home and lands by a bank about uh, nine years ago in a very corrupt deal that they did to me. It became ultimately the initiating point for me to step outside one night when the stars were glittering bright like only Montana diamonds can do up here and with tears of rage and anger and a soul broken streaming down my face I said to the universe, <laughs> to that master farmer in the skies above, show me how they get these things done. Reveal to me how they get this done, and I give you my word, I will follow every lead, every rabbit, and I'll write it all down. I'll document it all and bring it to the feet of the people that they may judge. And the information began to pour forward. I began immediately to be introduced to people who had uh, noticed peculiarities with spelling cases and things of this nature. Now, don't think I'm rabbit trailing off. This is going to tie directly into what's done to all of the various patriots. Okay. The fact of the matter is the study of history of cultural languages, in particular the English language, has revealed to me in a carte blanche statement I'm going to make that it is the language of the damned, the language of the dead. It takes and it does not give life, it strips life. A reverse type of English has been taught to us by rote over many centuries. The English pretty much arising around the year of 8 AD, okay, that uh, is called legalese. It's a backwards language. It's inverted and obverted. In other words, it's turned up on its head and inside out. And as that program is done with expressed sound, expressed in symbol form, the meaning likewise is inverted and obverted along with that word. The words that they were using back in 8 AD were farm terminology and words of war. Okay, 
As legalese has been developed over the course of these many centuries now since that time, legalese has become the professional back speech, the reverse speech of corporations. These corporations are driven by bloody-handed high priests. These bloody-handed high priests have but one interest, and that is to overthrow the farm and every living human. Man, woman, child is known by them to be an individual farm, and your name in all lowercase letters is the title of that farm. These land grabbers will stop at nothing to overthrow you and bust the farm. It's a very precise program that they operate in. It has precision terminology to it, and it's taken me seven years to uncover it. When I do this kind of work, I don't go to the computer. In fact, I'm not even hooked up on the computer. I go to my old, old books. I run many, many kinds of old encyclopedias, old dictionaries, in a tremendous variety of languages. It's just what it takes to uncover original intent. Okay. So, <clears throat> getting back to the situation with Lavoie then... And and all of the occupiers who, you know, other than avoid being dead, they're all most of them are in jail now. Yes. What what would your advice have been in regards to you know, because originally they came out there to protest the Hammonds being re imprisoned. I'm That's sure you're right. I'm sure you're yes. familiar with that story. Yes. Okay, let's stop. Let let's start there. How in the hell did they get away with that? <laughs> you know, Which some, side? Well, the prosecution. I mean you look at you look at uh you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's double jeopardy. Well, they didn't really appeal. They were they were convicted of the crime by a jury. So, you know, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So in their court system, they were convicted in that court system. Okay. Then the judge said that the sentence shocked his conscience and sentenced uh, the, the elder Hammond to three months and then the other one to one year. They serve that time, get out. Supposedly the BLM goes to them and says, well, you know, you've got to sign over these rights to us. We have first right of refusal if you go to sell your land. Or first right to purchase, I guess, would be the correct term. The word you're after is a word in history that is known as usufruct. U-S-U-F-R-U-C-T. Usufruct is conducted by usufructious-minded persons who are going to attempt to overthrow you, the living farm, by A, they're going to mount what is called proscribement. Proscribement is the first step, and it is conducted in all capital letters. It is the activity of a stranger who comes by your farm and decides he'd like to have it for himself. But He's allowed a form of immunity in that he does not do this challenge to you in first-name basis. He goes to the local court, whatever it is, and of course we know that it's corporate court. It's no longer civil court. Or in fact, uh, well, we've, I'll get down that rabbit trail a little later. <laughs> right. the, the point of it is, under proscribement, the stranger goes to a local court and he mounts a challenge to the title that you view as your name, the title to your farm. Mm -hmm. 
What he is doing is he's testing your mental competency called mentis compt. If he can draw you into the challenge and you actually appear at court, they work in collusion and conspiracy, the challenger and the court. They work together to enact legalese as the means of fraud to trip you up using words that carry reverse and inverted terminology. You and I go to court like farmers, and we talk farm talk. Justice means a horse thief on the end of a rope swinging off of a limb to you and I, and to them it means do not ever let the farmers figure out what we're doing to them. So when they went back to court, or when the prosecution or the new prosecutor got malicious about it and appealed their sentence, because the verdict was already in, but they appealed the sentence part of it. So is that how they got away with it? This is part of how they get away with it. Now, this uh, program of proscribement was done to the 1789 Constitution. It was done to the oaths via the word prescribed. When you do the proper research on it, you will learn from the Black's Fifth Law Dictionary that I utilize, as well as a variety of much older uh, Webster's. It will teach you in there, this is not my opinion, it will teach you that anything that is scribed uh, has been attrited. The word attrition, the war of attrition, to be rubbed out, is what that means. So, in other words, the stranger who arises this challenge has been rubbed out his first name is rubbed out and now he's seeking to rub out your first name in this attempted overthrow okay that's attrition okay so they were they were essentially overthrown and put in yes in prison absolutely so so now the, after that the bundys take over and their group take over and the void and the take over the refuge yes now all of the people that don't get this argument and what they were actually protesting, because that's what it was. It was a protest. Mm-hmm. They didn't threaten a soul, mm-hmm. whether they were a federal officer or a civilian. They didn't threaten anybody. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> they take over this refuge. Now, the biggest issue that I had with that and that Stuart Rhodes and other people have had with it, Chuck Baldwin, go on and on, is that they occupied a federal building, even though it was you know closed for the weekend or whatever. They occupied what they consider a federal building, and that gave the feds grounds to mess with them. So they, they almost like walked themselves into a trap. Now, with all that being said, folks, and I've said this many times, that does not justify the execution of a boy Finnegan. So the ends they don't, you know, you can't use that as justification. But be that as it may, did you have an issue with that legally? I mean, what would you, how would you have advised that group to proceed? Well, I'm not going to commit barratry, so I'm not going to advise anybody. I will share with you my opinion on that as to what their procedure should have been, and I will base it on the actual evidence of history. The actual evidence of history reveals that due to the oaths of these corporate actors that you view as judges, lawyers, attorneys, bar, A, bar, I, bar, DOJ, all the alphabet agencies, take the prescribed oath, and the instant they take the prescribed oath, their first name basis in civil law is rubbed out, and a corporate 
fictive actor comes forward who carries corporate immunity granted in the form of a privilege as opposed to civil law, wherein you are born with natural unalienable rights. Rights, it is said in the blacks, have to be seized. Well, there's two parties to do the seizing. A, the one who is born with these natural rights must be aware that others are going to mount this proscribement challenge and seek to overthrow the farm and be willing to seize upon whatever means necessary to prevent that from happening, peacefully, hopefully, and if not, then not. You have to meet force with force, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, Then B, the one who's going to attempt to do the seizing is the proscribing challenger, and that is what happens. Uh, The challenger becomes every state that enters incorporation thanks to the Charter of 1871, which proscribed the 1789 civil constitution, mm-hmm. even though it carried a military form of enforcement and it was military styled in its programming. Nevertheless, the corporate charter of the 41st Congress of 1871 canceled out the 1789. It was an overthrow of that form. Right. So, but what would your opinion have been and what they should have done at the refuge? My opinion of what should be done at the refuge is my opinion of what must be done all across America. Okay. I would encourage people to pay attention to a uh, organic judge out of Alaska State who is going by the name of Anna Von Reitzinger. In her work, which is all over the Internet that I'm not connected to, so I get bits and pieces of it from time to time, she is reconstituting the civil courts that we, the American civilians who are not military, are supposed to be uh, conducting our dealings through. That court's purpose is for the restoration of the property that is stolen by proscribement, otherwise known as kidnapping. Very flat kidnapping. So what should have been done down at the mall here is that civil court should prevail. It is the most powerful form. It supersedes military. Has anybody ever asked themselves why in the 1789 Constitution there is no civil courts established? Why is it in the whole of the document from the Declaration of Independence through the main body of the Constitution up to the 11th Amendment, the word common law or the phrase common law, is only found twice. Where's the civil courts? Why is it that the military uh, tribunals were established in lower form, but still military tribunals? Where were the civilians who are not military supposed to go to for quote-unquote justice? The court's purpose is restoration of property. But what kind of property? Are you talking material, the farm? Is that physical damage? Yes. There's also immaterial property called the spirit, the soul, and the name that each one of us farms, us living farms are known by, is the name of your spirit or the name of your soul. The evidence is this. When the body dies, does the body leave and vanish before your eyes? No. The body remains and services are held, generally speaking. What is it that has vanished? It was the contents within the vessel that you and I view as a body. The, the vessel has become broken and poured out, and that which animated the vessel is now gone on its way to a different location. It's going elsewhere. Right. If we stand on what the Bible has to say, it is claimed within that document 
that wherever the soul spirit arrives at, it is known there by name. For what purpose? Assessment of value. We call it judgment. Okay? They're going to assess the value at whatever location his spirit soul is going to arrive at. And it's known by name. The name that you have here in your physical construct is the name in the immaterial world that you are known by for judgment purposes for to be weighed in the balances at that point in time. So really, John, really, your name is not the name of your body. Your name is the name of your soul. Right. So what profiteth a man to put value to more, the body or the soul? No, the soul, obviously. That's correct. That's correct. And the soul of this matter is the fact that the farms called American citizens were overthrown 248 years ago. A handful of men gathered together, and I'm going to make some people angry with this. A handful of men gathered together and made an appearance of a cutting of British ties. It was an appearance only and thorough historical study of the semantics used in the construction of the body of the 1789 Constitution, the precise words chosen in their precise locations, and the fact that about every third word on the average is in Capite's medius form, meaning it's already been diminuified. Uh, those associated to it have lost their uh, rights as citizens, and uh, part of their family rights have been carried away also. Okay, It's very important to know this. You must know this. It is everything in life to be able to govern yourself in this fashion as you seek to contract or avoid contracting. You have to know who and what and how you're talking to, what is being said to you, and what the possible intent is here. The all-caps appearance is total slave. Capite maxima diminutio. Look at your uh, documents from court, from the bank, from the county, from the state. They're always in all capital letters. Are you telling me that a slave has the right to tax you? The IRS, a slave, has the right to tax you. The county has the right to assess you fees and fines when it announces itself as to be a slave to the citizens thereof. And the state has the right to jail you six times as I have been jailed and in cuffs nine times. Nearly got it the tenth time on New Year's Eve. I was going to ask you about that, as a matter of fact, because... One of the things I did um, prior to, you know, yesterday, I put up a couple of your videos on my show page. And uh, one of, in one of those videos, I think it was from 2013, the judge actually walks out of the courtroom, yes. excuses herself. Uh-huh. And then I noticed you beat feet out the doors. And I can't, it was kind of garbled what you said on the video, but essentially it was, screw this. I'm not going to put up with this. And you left. What I said was the judge has abandoned the bench. The court is empty. Nobody is in the court. She refused my command to return to finish the banking business at hand. And at that instant, she abdicated her position, and it was over. And I prevailed. Now, what nobody knows, or very few know, is ultimately this went all the way to jury trial, and I prevailed again at jury trial. I spoke for 18 minutes on international banking and ecclesiastical trust law, which is everything when you comprehend proscribement. I revealed to the jury their lack of knowledge and their incompetency to be there that day and the fact that none of them had brought bonds of indemnity with them to protect them from me 
if they ruled against me and slandered my name, I would have them each three million per juror per individual right there. And then I commanded them to lay out their bonds of indemnity. It's nothing new. It's ancient. It's part of being a wise farmer. And which obviously I'm not because this is, you know, these are a lot of these things I have. I'm learning for the first time. This is all going to be very strange speech because I deal with uh, ancient agricultural law. I comprehend that all this chaos that you see taking place not only in America, but all over the earth is being caused at the behest of a group of land pirates. They announce themselves to you as the bar. Part of them is Sons Benai Barith. They're in this loop, too. So then the BLM? Is in this loop, too. Right. The land grabbers. So essentially that's the enforcement arm of the individuals behind all of them. BLM is a subcorporation. Everything has been incorporated 1871. They finished off with the 1789 began. They finished off the appearance, and both of them denied the actuality. Mm-hmm. The actuality is you and I have natural unalienable rights as primary farmland called Yebish in the book of Genesis in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. There are two farms listed in that chapter. Farm number one is the dry land earth that was beneath the waters at the time of the claim of creation found there. Right. Okay. A separation came forward in which the land rose above the waters. Prior to that, the constellary division that people talk about, and that is known as Myral, M-I-R-A-L. Now, throw the A-D on the front of it and the T-Y on the back of it, and welcome to constellary talk, Admiralty. Were you talking about space? Yes, I'm talking about making war by the light of the moon in all cycles and seasons on Earth. That's farm number two. According to Genesis, that's the second one. When you see the word farm in that book, it will say to you firmament. Well, the fact is in history that the word farm you and I are talking about here tonight, which is everything, it's the core of everything that's happening on earth, is spelled F-I-R-M-A-M-E-N-T in Genesis, and it's also F-O-E-R-M, firm, in the Latin becomes farm in English, also in early English, uh, 14th century, known as farm, F-A-E-R-M, and the A and E, like usual, get kind of run together. Later on becomes farm, 16th century becomes farm, F-A-R-M, and in corporate speech, you know the farm as the firm, (laughs) F-I-R-M. And movies have been made about that. Mm. (laughs) Now, when we come back, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, what I'd like to discuss is what happened in 1871. How did the Constitution become a corporate charter? Very good, sir. And when we get back, we will continue with that right here on the Johnny Storm Show. Don't go away. Yeah, we all 
and bread They put the same mold Your life is like a house that's about to foreclose They said invest in gold But what's that gonna do if your world spins out of control We've been breaking parole, trying to avoid the patrol I fight the void in your soul, I'm like the voice in the hole Telling you to stop singing, living life as a mole Living a life of self-absorption and that toxic being designed By abortion, we give ourselves life by killing the future Turn on the TV to see who's the biggest loser It seems all so backwards, see things in my eyes that no camera can capture Sleepwalking zombies, the only but hope Death might just distract you, you don't see through the smoke For me, it's just a joke, but others never caught the punchline So I punch rhymes out of my throat that we uh, that we now operate under. 
So that's why I brought you up in the conversation. The timing couldn't have been better. <laughs> yeah, I I'm like honored to be on this show because uh uh this this guest speaker is uh, a hero to a lot of us whether he knows it or not. The standing that he does is a complete inspiration and it's it's a uh it's a standard that that everyone should be following. And I'm just honored to be on the show with him. And, of course, with you, John, my, my dear friend, so like my brother. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I want to hear his take, and I'll, you know, just fit in where, where uh, I can in any comments or questions because I've known about you for a long time, and um, I've been watching the videos, and I, I about came off of my chair when – I watched you walk out of the courtroom, which you guys were just talking about, and, you know, this court has been abandoned, the judge has abandoned uh, the court, and I was just so proud of what you did, and I wish everyone would do that, and if everyone did what you do, they would be done in one night. It would be over. If everyone stood like you stand. So thank you for what you do. Yes, you're welcome, and I thank you for your high compliments. So is I only do what each one of us Americans ought to be doing, and we all know it. Mm-hmm. Right. You are so, right. What I really liked, too, during the arguments that you had with the uh, with the judge was when she was telling you to be quiet and you refused. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to take orders from a slave. There you go. What do you think about that one, Randy? <laughs> I love it because I say that almost, you know, daily, and – you know, Ernie and, and Johnny, because your show, uh, I feel like it is empowering people. And the system, in many ways, is starting to crack. Um, you know, I just watched a former prosecutor within a video where she said, you know, she indicted people with these grand juries where it's completely, I mean, they can, they can indict a ham sandwich in these courts and in these grand juries. Um, it's just that criminal. And I deal with a lot of state court issues with people and these judges are just walking all over and you know, your rights, and you know, you don't need to be a slave. And I found this out only a few years ago and, you know, and, and John knows my story, but I ran for state Senate in Iowa. And when I posted up the picture of me at the, at the Capitol building and I had just filed my papers to run for state Senate because I knew something was terribly wrong and people attacked me because the flag had the yellow fringe. That was the only time that I really started to get the idea and educated. And that was in 2012. And that's the whole thing. The education, I think because of the internet is out there massively and your videos are, are so viral and people are watching that. And you, now other people are standing in the court. I have friends in Colorado that are now standing and calling the judge out for treason. That's precisely what you're doing. Yeah, and it's because of your videos that people are, are taking a clue and also taking action. So. Yeah, it's good to hear. You see, as a farmer, the videos that you're referring to are part of the seed that I broadcast and they're apparently coming to fruition harvest time will be when we the people turn this country back the way it is supposed to be and put it back under natural law 
which is civil law and civil law, not UCC. UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code, is the proscribement of your natural unalienable rights. You see, uh, what people call common law, I've researched it and I found in history where it's, uh, it's accredited nothing more than British parliamentarianism. And if you know about British parliamentarianism, then you're aware of its extreme theatrics. Uh, the theatrics are conducted by actors that must bear titles of nobility, and the condemned one is the man at the bar, and the man at the bar is silenced. He has no voice and cannot present himself, uh, cannot speak, must be represented. One of the key words in all of this, you just said, prosecutor, is uh, one of my favorite words to have fun and make mincemeat out of. Break that word apart in your mind. Instead of prosecutor, say, pro se tutor. Ask yourself in the Latin language, which if you don't have a Latin dictionary, I recommend you do what I did. Just go down to Barnes & Noble and buy one for nine bucks. Get education. Okay. All right. And you will learn, history will teach you in the Latin language, that pro se tutor, the one you're facing, literally means he or she has come to execute you in your own skin. They're going to overthrow you, the living farm, and almost as if it were, skin you, put your skin on them. As a farmer, I've uh, had times when, uh, you know, the mother cow would lose a calf. And uh, we'd try to adopt another calf on it. And we learned that what worked was to take the skin of the deceased calf, skin it quickly, while it was still warm, and drape it over the other calf, and then uh, bring it up where the cow would smell it, would nuzzle that calf, wearing the false skin of its uh, brother or whatever, and uh, the cow would then potentially receive the calf. By and large, that pretty well works. Well, that's what this system does. This system hunts people. It hunts their names. It's just, oh, I kind of hate to use the word, but I'm going to. Let's uh, have fun with the word vampire. It is a vampirical system that absolutely hunts people. And it looks to turn the people inside out and upside down on their heads. It's a complete farm overthrow, a total land grab, and it results in the one that it's done to becoming spoliated. All right? Spoliated is a word that literally means plundered. Who did the plundering? The one who mounted the proscribing challenge. That was step number one. I need to run through these words so I keep them in order of explanation. Bear with me a minute. I'm just going to speak the words in order, and then we'll go back and have a look. Number one, proscribement. Number two, ejectment. Number three, spoliation. Number four, commercialization. Number five, monetization. Number six, securitization. Number seven, insurance. And number eight, jettisoning. Now, We've covered proscribement pretty doggone well. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying. It's an always the challenger always mounts their challenge to your competency, They're your natural right to own your own natural name. They always do it in all capital letters. I'm backed utterly by history on this. I could, uh, <laughs> my library uh, consists of somewhere over 5,000 reference books. I've been gathering for a wow. long time. Okay. I'm not telling you my opinion. This is evidenced history. Once a person has lost 
to the proscribing program, which kind of works like this. If I were a judge who was intending to overthrow you there, Miss Shannon, I would mount a legal challenge in which I would have all of my my words would mean something other than what I figure you know about. It's one of the assumptions of the court. I figure Mm -hmm. you're going to talk common law talk of 1789, and you're not going to be wise to my legalese ways, and I'm going to pull a quickie on you, and I'm going to get inside of you. I'm going to overtake your person, impersonate you by the time we're done, and then plunder you from the inside out. And how am I going to get all this done and get away with it? I'm going to trick you into granting me uh, jurisdiction. Because you see, right. I don't have any jurisdiction, any authority at all, not even to begin the challenge. I do not have the right as a corporate corrupt judge to even initiate this process. This is anti-natural. It's unnatural. Smart people don't do unnatural things. Cunning people do. And you'll find that cunning people tend to be the heartless type. Smart people will be compassionate when, uh, when it's correct. They're balanced uh, individuals. Okay, so I'm going to get inside your name and I'm going to take you over. I will uh, seize your right from you by tricking you into giving it to me. Otherwise, I'm out in the wind and I have no uh, jurisdiction whatsoever. And I don't care the lowest judge to U.S. Supreme Court. I have no jurisdiction over you whatsoever unless you establish it for me. So how do, how would she do that? I mean, when you go into that courtroom, how do you end up screwing yourself? By opening your mouth. That is <laughs> yep. the one thing that people do. They talk themselves right into it. A uh, a uh, late federal judge once said that uh, there's nobody in prisoner jail that's not there voluntarily. That's true. Yes, fraud, capital fraud, is the driving force behind the voluntary. But the fact of it is, they talk too much. Okay, so we have to learn to think like they do and talk like they do, which is a major challenge because it goes against the grain of we the people. We have to learn to be like them, to undo them, to expose them, and it will set crosswise with your soul. You won't like it at all. It will make you angry. It'll break your heart beyond anything you knew your heart could be broken because of the extreme psychopathy involved in this. Once the oath, that prescribed oath, has been taken, science is revealing everywhere that DNA begins to change. You see, the prescribed oath is a false memory. And all DNA carries natural memory within it and, of course, immediate memory of the last words just spoken. If the memories introduced into the DNA are false memories, the DNA retains the false memories and it shifts accordingly. A long enough time spent at this and the DNA does not realize anymore that that memory is based on a lie and accepts it as the truth and the person ends up being owned by that. The DNA literally changes because of the spoken out, the sworn out loud oath. It's incredibly spiritually deadly. So continue with uh, what happens next and why, what's the, what's the question I'm really looking for here? 
Well, let's center it on Lavoie. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, let's go back to Lavoie. Okay, let's center it on Lavoie. And like I said, I I hope this gets straight to the family of Lavoie Finnecum. I'm speaking directly to you people. Lavoie Finnecum was an American citizen, a civilian. I don't know anything about his military background, if ever he had any or not. I, I do not have a clue. Apparently he did. I am simply looking at a distance here and using my knowledge of history and of the battles I've been through with the corrupt court system to uh, render you a uh, an accurate assessment of what went on with Lavoie. Lavoie was automatically proscribed at birth. It occurred on the birth certificate. Now, I brought my birth certificate with me here tonight, the certificate of live birth. I've got it in a little uh, black briefcase over here to my left, and uh, if you could see through this microphone, I would show you that the opening letters of it are uh, in all capital, grand slave letters, uh, capite maxima diminutio. It immediately notifies your mind, which should warn your soul, that whatever that document, the body of it is going to contain, has been sent from something or someone that is announcing themselves to you that they are a slave. Now, I've made judges say out loud that I am not a slave. I've challenged them and said, Robert Quinn, am I a slave? And he said, no, no, you're not not a slave. No, 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 but you got to uphold the codes and the statutes, same as everybody else. So then, Robert, I am a slave. This happened in April when I was jailed for the sixth time. No, no, Ernie, nobody owns you. No, Ernie, you're not a slave, uh, but, uh, but, 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 okay. Well, the thing about it is, see, is that on the live certificate of birth, it opens up with the majusculus. The great ass letters is what majusculus means in the Latin. It's a giant joke. It's a terrible hoax that will cost you your life, as it did Lavoie. It was done to him as it was done to me. Lavoie is 55, I'm 54. I can show you right over this microphone (laughs) the certificate of live birth announced by a slave state, corporate, colon, state of Montana. That is not our organic state, and its system of judiciary is not our organic civil system of 1789 base. It is their military tribunal system. That is why the flag uh, just previously referred to with the gold fringe around it is the gold fringing of the British Admiralty epophletry that was on their naval suits. Think about uh, you know Pirates of the Caribbean or uh, Master and Commander. Look at, in your mind, remember what the officers wore on their uniforms. See all the gold braids, the fringes dangling off the uh, etoffel tree. I think that's how I'm supposed to say the word, etoffel tree, on their shoulders. That's what is around what appears to you as the American flag. And remember in this conversation as well that the American flag is only but the colors of law denying the actuality thereof, as the Bible so often says, denying the actuality thereof. The colors of the American flag are tied into the year of 1666, which is the year that the George Washington family floated up into uh, Massachusetts from having crossed the ocean. That year is the year that the Admiralty Maritime, and now I would ask you in your mind's eye, take the word Admiralty and take the word Maritime. Put maritime beneath the word mirality, 
and then ask yourself, why is the I and the A in two different spots in those words, and yet there's such a similarity? Myrel and Marie. Well, I can show you where it ties back into the three fates. Eunomia, Dicea, and I forget the third one at a minute. But it takes you right back into Greek mythology, brought forward by the English sacking ones. In Latin, the type of code and statute that uh, portrays itself as governing America is known as Lex Lares, L-E-X, L-A-R-E-S, and Lex Lares is known to be nothing more than mythology, just simple fiction. Ah, welcome to the field of all capital letters. Anything addressed in that is nothing but a novel. It's just an old home folk tale, you know, beware so-and-so will get you if you're out after dark, whatever. It's just wild tales of the forest, and it bears no actual law enforcement behind it. Notions. Codes and statutes have no more value to them than suggestions and notions. Suggestions and notions disregarded are not crimes. It is possible if you suggest the, if you reject the notion of stopping at a stop sign or driving 95 in a 15 mile an hour school zone, it is highly possible that you're going to create actual harm to someone else. And in that, if you do it, You may lose your own life under common law, under civil law. And remember, when I use common law, I'm cutting the British out of it. You may also have seen where I uh, nailed a uh, pro se cutor, Patrick C. Riley, in Gallatin County. It's on YouTube. That day, as the Gallatin County deputies, uh, 22 of which I'm told have quit since I came through there, as they were putting the manacles on me, I addressed that man about this very subject. Why are you a Bozeman native, a Bozeman resident? Why are you bearing the forbidden by the Tona Act of 1789 and Article 1 in uh, Section 9 and Section 10? It's mentioned two times. Why are you bearing the title Esquire? That man, his soul, what little he had left of it, ran right down his pant leg and into his shoe. And he jerked his face away from my gaze. He looked sick. He looked like he was going to throw up right there on the spot because I nailed him with the truth, you see. What's our biggest problem in all of this? We're going to get to it here in a section, and I'm going to introduce you to what the word congress. Now, I'll rock on until John gives me the high sign, and uh, Randy, if you've got something to interject, I'll I'll just keep talking. So you say a word. (laughs) word. That's good. Well, I would like to... Go ahead, Randy. You did mention about you did mention about um, that being in there about titles of nobility, but uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that in the the hidden Thirteenth Amendment or somewhere in there? So they don't they don't bother to to the you know claim, they hide behind yeah yeah the claim was made and remember all amendments uh, after the tenth one uh, are for federal citizens and not state citizens. The first 10 amendments pertain to state citizenry. So if you're not a federal citizen, the rest of it doesn't matter to you. I've used this information to uh, tie up the IRS in federal court. I did it March 3, 2011. EPO 9-58A, Gallatin County. The evidence is there. Outstanding. Thank you. 
Did they did they run the other way? <laughs> or I've, I've never heard from them again. That in itself is a uh, really interesting story. I was going to say, uh, if you've never heard from them again, that in itself is a victory. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have been relentless. Uh, yes, they're they're definitely uh, bloodthirsty. <laughs> uh, the definition of. Okay, so <clears throat> now that we've established some parameters. Oh, man. Where to go with what? that? <laughs> yeah, where, where, well, uh, yeah. I mean, where do we go with it? Um, well, you want relief, remedy, or cure? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's uh, let's get to executive orders because of this corporate charter that we're under now. Everybody always rants and raves, and Randy, you see it all the time as well uh, about Obama's executive orders. And you know, let's let's face it, the executive orders go way back. Okay, way back, all the way. You know, let's talk about Lincoln's executive orders. Now, unconstitutional they were. The Lincoln you read about in school is not the real deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that being said, everybody bitches about Congress or the Republicans not being able to repeal these executive orders. Being that we're under a corporate constitution or charter instead of the real 1789 constitution, explain to everybody why and how that works and how Congress really can't do squat about it. Okay, uh, I have to take you much further back than uh, 1871 and tie it into 1871. So from earlier time of 1789, we're going to move forward. The fact that all of these actors are governed by governed by a series of boards that are operating under what you now comprehend are the prescribed oaths, which means they can get away with murder, literally. Anything they began to do from, uh, let's say, 1793 forward, once the Ten Amendments were done, uh, became nothing more than a value of fiction. And yes, I realize giant court battles have been fought back and forth, huge wars over it. People have made their entire careers, names, and lives on arguing U.S. Supreme Court constitutional law cases and so forth. But the facts are what the facts are, and the facts are hidden in plain sight right in front of our eyes. We just didn't know how to see it. The facts are that when you begin to comprehend the capite minimus, capite medius, and capite maxima, and you apply the knowledge that you learn of those three phrases to the body of the Constitution itself, and thus the Civil Amendments 10, uh, you begin to get a completely different education, and you begin to realize that this country was never established to become independent. That was simply the appearance. The actuality is that the appearance was to reign supreme until something better came along that was even worse. And the better that came along that was even worse is tied into the Rothschild family of 1722, the French Revolution, who were nobody peasants until murder for hire. They purchased with bloody hands their title of nobility, handed to them by the uh, premier of France at that time. People want to know about executive orders, and executive orders, of course, are committed by those whose names have already been prescribed right out of uh, civil immunity, so now they can get away with criminal activity because they have a license. The purpose of a test oath, a prescribed oath, is to obtain the kol nidre prayer of pre-forgiveness in advance of standing as negative sinful events. 
The Bill of Attainder, spoken of in Article 3 in the 1789 Constitution, I researched it in depth, and I found that it's absolutely of a religious nature, or spiritual rather is the better word, you know, that religion's purpose is to cause war, spiritual's purpose is to enlighten people and make a better society. The Bill of Attainder is a charge of sinful behavior, so if you run that stop sign or you zip through that uh, school zone I talked about earlier and you cause harm, that's regarded as an event in which your standing in society and in the eyes of universal law, because you caused blood to fly, you did actual harm to somebody with a the result of your poor decision-making, your standing is negative. People in the Christian world call that sin. I look at it from my own standpoint, and I see that it works for me. Standing is negative. I do my best not to engage in events or in decision-making processes that are going to lead me to where somebody can lay a bill of attainder on me. I do not harm people. I simply expose where the harm is at. Abraham Rothschild Lincoln, trying to roll the good old R there, was the product of Nathaniel and Lionel Rothschild through Sarah, his, uh, Abraham Lincoln's mother. She was a blood-born, full-blood Rothschild. What Abraham did was in covenant with his uh, uh, predecessors was to establish the central banking system that we are totally at war with now in, in all parts of the world. He's the one who got it in here. If the central bankers had pitched what they had in mind to the American civilians and said, this is how we'd like to enslave you, the civilians would have thrown them out right then or done worse. So a handy guy has had to be got forward that would get everybody uh, all fired up. There's a Latin word for that. It's called focuso. And with it, you can imagine a match being struck. Okay. When the focuso of the subject of slavery was brought forward and advanced for camouflage, as the means with which to conduct the necessary series of events which would result in the long-range goal of enslaving everybody. Color has nothing to do with it. Intent is what rules the day, and they care not. The land grabbers don't give a fig about the color of your skin. They only care that they win by any means necessary, and they expressed that clearly when they took out Lavoie. Okay. John wants a word. I'm on. Let him have it. Well, and I was just I was getting back to the executive orders. Why uh, let people know why can't Congress repeal them? Why can't they? Uh John wants to know the definition of the word. Randy, do you know the definition of the uh two part conjunctive word congress? Uh let's see. Well, con <laughs> We all know what the con is. Um, I don't know. Go ahead. Give it to me. I, I, I don't want to make a fool okay. of myself. <laughs> all right. Oh, you, you trust me. You're on solid footing. Here's what it means. Okay. I'll, I'll just say it. Carte blank. Anybody wants to challenge me on it uh, is welcome to. Uh, Congress literally means cannot walk. If you take the core of the uh, bijunctive there, the grass part is the part that holds motion in it. Sound causes Reaction. Somebody fires a gun, somebody else hits the deck. Okay. Sound causes movement in the mind. I make you a promise. Your mind looks to the future and moves towards the future because I made you a promise of something 
uh, to fulfill with you a contract or whatever in the future, a guarantee or something, okay? Uh, if I deny that contract and I sabotage you, your mind comes back to you, and then it looks back into the past and it says, Eka and Bigger lied. And uh, you begin to think negative thoughts no longer in the future, or perhaps a more dim or bleak future <laughs> as regards the one who violated the contract. What I'm trying to tell you is that George Washington, who three times signed himself off as a viscount in the 1789 Constitution, and I've documented every time, he was a 99th degree Mason, far beyond the 33rd degree. He was a 99th degree Mason. I'm looking for what color. If somebody could answer me that, I need to know what color a Mason Washington was. Was it blue or was it something else? Okay. That being said, Washington, Franklin, Madison, Jefferson, Payne colluded and conspired together. And for this, I'm going to get shot by all the patriots. But those boys colluded and conspired together to retain usage of hand-picked, well-comprehended terminology that causes a reaction in the future. And the word Congress is an ancient word. There's nothing new about it. And its intent, error in history, has always been the same. Cannot walk. Cannot walk means cannot mature. Cannot mature means infancy. Cannot ever create. Why would uh, the founding fathers want to develop a body of people called Congress that could never create anything, could never do anything more than crawl around and cry in the sandbox like we watch them do on a daily basis until we're ready to stick our fingers down the throat and vote that away? You know, it is because the founders come from a fifth renaissancial period, the results of which they were desperate to create something brand new. So they built a model society like sculpture. It was different. They were the creators of it, and they wished to be unchallenged should their model society become successful. The only ones nearest to them that could ever potentially arise a challenge to create something as good or perhaps better would be the governing body. Therefore, the name Congress was retained by the Founding Five, and it was applied to what you view as the nation's leaders. And in the Founders' own words, they called them the body of filial bastards, perpetually immature never, ever, ever going to be able to create anything as good or even close to what we got because we've tied their hands in perpetuity. Abraham Rothschild Lincoln, executive order, first president we think of to go around Congress and issue an executive order, the Emergency War Power Act of 1863. Okay, He knew that Congress was useless. Nothing more than a bunch of crybabies in a sandbox throwing rocks and blocks at each other, and that's all they can get done. They cannot stop the Grand Wizard. Lincoln comprehended this, utilized that back door, went right around the useless body, and enacted whatever he chose to do. And what he chose to do was to fulfill his predecessors lineally in the, in the family to fulfill their dreams of subjecting America to bank slavery which would lead to total spoliation, which is the word plundering. The word after proscribement 
you will check back in these archives and you will find that I used a word called ejectment. Ejectment is the second action that happens once you failed in the prescribement. Ejectment results in you being pitched out of your own name on your head upside down. You are now a stranger in the land. You have no home, no name, no family, no society, no rights, no voice, no vote, no count, no nothing, no value. At that point in time, you are reduced to all capital letters, a grand slave, and nothing but. And this is why the tribunalist court system says we cannot hear you, we cannot see you. You have to have representation by a certified member of the bar. This is why I tell you for a fact. It's not my opinion. It is clear. Ne'er did we ever break free of British control over this country. Through the word usufruct, we have forever been owned by the British parliamentarian system, and it is so to this very day. I'll break you. So, <clears throat> essentially, we're still slaves to the crown, and even more so now that the uh, the corporate charter was enacted in 1871. Yes, and uh, what the further study of history will reveal to you is in the uh, 1870s, uh, early 1880s, the crown experienced a revolution within itself in which the bar, (laughs) which used to serve as legal status and legal advisors to the crown itself, separated from the monarchy and became the crown independent of the monarchy and turned on the monarchy, and now you know why Queen Elizabeth is near bankruptcy. Uh-huh. Because they're at war even against their own monarch. Well, they just can't get enough blood, apparently. What's the bar mean? What's what the three letters? B A R. What's it stand for? British Accredited Registry. <laughs> what does A B A R stand for? American. Americanized version of the British accredited registry. I have to ask you a farm question, being a logical man. Mm-hmm. What American in their right name, in God's name, would wish to impersonate the British accredited registry parliamentarian system? Good question. So They don't even know that they're doing that, though, because I've... I've been in attorney's offices and asked them. They were 40 years in practicing law, and I said, do you know what the bar is? And they say, oh, well, it's that bar, you know, that you cross when you go in. They don't know. I'll give you an earlier meaning of bar. Bar is the sand spit. You ever heard of a sand spit? Yeah. We're talking sea law now, okay? We're going to talk sea law here for a minute. The bar is the little spit of sand that one must cross over whilst bearing treasure from the vessel anchored out onto the land. That treasure is going to be buried for future pondering, for retrieval. That's what the earliest definition of bar means. It is, once again, a direct reference to the dry land earth in the Hebrew language called Yebish that once was beneath the waters, but due to royal command, now supersedes the waters. Farm number one supersedes the waters of farm number two, the firmaments above, the firmaments below. Now, let me stop you there real quick, because that, is precisely what I've been studying when it comes to the BLM, the Forest Service. They're, they're claiming all these water rights. 
Yes, and then they claim the water that's underneath the ground, so therefore they can, oh, we got to claim that because oh, there's a little tadpole that might be endangered in those waters, so therefore we're claiming all of it, <laughs> and we're going to take it away from you because we can't. Randy, what yes. percentage of water is in your body? Uh, probably 80%. The medical science uh, holds it around 86% if you're properly liquefied or hydrated with water. I will, inform, okay. I will inform you that you are holding hostage within your farm that you view as your body. You're holding hostage the UN's water. And they're going mm-hmm. to spoliate you and retrieve their water, for they seized your right to have your own water in your system called a farm. They seized it mm-hmm. and are going to overthrow you, the farm, and take it. Ever heard the old we are phrase? their collateral, right? If you agree to be. Right. Exactly. And what's it take to, oh, and here's, I'll throw this in. Here's a fun little side note, a result of <laughs> thousands of hours of historical study. The word agree. I, I learned, let me give you a, a, just a trick here. I learned, I learned to suspect every single English word and phrase that was beyond the word a. I suspect of, I suspect if, I suspect so, I suspect everything. And when it comes to conjunctives, whether it's a simple conjunctive or a way complex conjunctive, such as obligation, on, I learn to suspect it and dissect them, uh, <laughs> do semantic surgery on them, if you would. That's what I do. I dissect them and I chase them back. What is the origin of each prefix? Uh, each addendum on the end of the words. Where where'd it come from? What was the oldest intent I can possibly find? Okay. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying to you is uh, I've kind of rabbit trailed myself in what I was explaining to you, but what I'm saying <laughs> to you is due to the use of the word proscribement, they wrote you out of your own name at birth, announced it as uh, if they were slaves enslaving another slave. A slave cannot sue another slave. You have no recourse in their court. Not to mention, they're a war slave who, uh, according to the 1864 emergency, uh, the uh, oh, let me back up here a minute. It's it was the kickoff. Abraham Lincoln did the 1863 Emergency War Powers Act, and uh, Francis, ah, I forget his name at the moment. Francis, eh, it'll come to me. I'm sorry. Uh, wrote the 1864 Articles of War. Okay, there's 166 verses, if you would, in the Articles of War, and it is the, or we'll call them Articles. The 11th Article is the one, just like the 11th Amendment, is the one wherein they claim immunity as their back door. Hey, sorry we shot Lavoy. It was just an act of war, and there was nothing personal about it. He shouldn't have got in our way. The 11th Amendment, if you read it, will say, the United States uh, judicial power shall not be construed so as to extend to any case that may arise, be in law or equity, when a citizen of one of the states is pressing it against one of the United States. What that means is if I sue a 14th Amendment actor called a local police officer for harm he's done to me, I'm not going to get any recourse because the judicial power of the United States was abdicated in the 11th Amendment for their back door to get out of it. 
This is why the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in October past, if an officer uh, conducts a no-knock warrantless raid on your home and you get taken out in the uh, course of events, and members of your family arise a lawsuit to seek remuneration for the loss of you out of their family, they're not going to get anywhere. U.S. Supreme Court said we will back the officer. All he's got to do on the stand is say, hey, I know anything about her Fourth uh, uh, Amendment rights of, of, of uh, you know, safety and privacy, uh, no search and seizure without a reasonable warrant and this sort of thing. And the U.S. Supreme Court said we'll back the officers conducting such a violent raid. What do you think about that? Well, it explains uh, how, they're, how they're getting away with shooting the boy, that's for sure. That's right. Landy, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's, uh, it's it's completely upside down, and people just don't know it. That's why, you know, all of this is super important, and, and we're getting it out there. And that's why legalese is what you're dealing with. It is an upside-down, inside-out language. It is literally necromancy. When you go to court, I, you show up for the appearance, the apparel. You are playing the part of the deceased slave, the one that was jettisoned, which is word number eight in his list, the one that was jettisoned off the United States corporate vessel for the purpose of retrieval later on for future splendor and, uh, plunder and spoliation. Okay? There's no way to get out of this. There's no civil recourse. Everything is a state of war, and it has been so since since Benjamin Franklin and John Adams put together the first company called uh, The Trust, John Q. Public, in uh, 1763, for heaven's sake. Nothing has ever changed. The civilians have no proper recourse. Mandy? Necromancy, is that a book? seems like I bought no, one with that. Well, if you've got a book with that title, and what you have is a book that uh, is going to discuss in some form or fashion uh, how to communicate with the dead. Yeah, the Necronomicon, when, right? That's right. If you go to court and you're uh, playing the part of the dead slave, every word that the private banker, there are no American judges, every word that the private banker who holds a private contract with a public corporation called the state of Montana is going to assume that you don't know what you're doing because if you did you wouldn't be doing what you're doing which is uh trying to make a deal with the judge so you're actually right. impersonating a deceased slave that was pitched off the vessel lost at sea missing presumed drowned and so now you've become a legend and the word legend is in all caps Take a drive down through your local cemetery and look at all the tombstones find me one that the name is on it in anything other than all caps. The word legend translates over to the word lagan, L-A-G-A-N, and now we're back to the pirates and sea law. Lagan is what results when pirates spoliate too much booty. They'll get so much on board that the ship becomes in danger, it's too heavy in the seas, and when the waves begin to billow up high, instead of rolling with the waves and it's, uh, oh, I forget the terminology right now, Anyway, instead of rocking well with it, it begins to over-center and become in danger of flipping. So mm. the pirates will take lumber, build pallets with netting. They will lash the lagging onto the pallet. 
they'll tie a 50-foot rope and a buoy marker onto it, and they'll pitch it overboard. Because in the future, when they've unloaded that vessel, they're going to float right back out there, and using a long iron hook, they're going to hook that cord called the birth certificate, called the Sedis Secrorum, the right of Rome to own that property, social security number. If you're carrying it, you're the property of Rome. They're going to hook it and retrieve it and drag you right back up for spun uh, for plunder and spoliation once again. Wow. So Interesting. Now, what, Randy, you and I talked uh, last time you were on the show about the, uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, pronouncing it wrong, irrevo- irrevocable trust. Yes. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what Ernie says about that. Uh, the private blind irrevocable trust where they don't see anything. It's not, it's not a, you don't get an EIN, you don't get anything from the IRS. You stay completely out of that. And you have a, so where you're, you, I mean, cause we still live in this world. So you pull everything into your blind, into trust, your blind trust, but you have a trustee, not you, who still, um, helps it to operate in, in this world that we still live in. So you're in the private completely, but then you still have to dabble a little bit in the commerce in the world that we're in. Sometimes people go completely into what we call the private, and then when they go back in, it's a little bit different from what you do, but when they dabble back in the commerce, they're getting thrown into jail. And so this is a way to keep people out of jail. Do you know anything about that or have any comments? I've looked into a ton of this stuff over the past couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. Some cases seems to be prevailing. Uh, some mm-hmm. cases being ignored. In some cases, they're just coming right out and seizing the people so doing and taking them straight to jail. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's a variety of responses. What your uh, I would turn this around. I would answer your query with a logical farmer's question. We mm-hmm. now comprehend that what we're dealing with is a society of dead slaves. Mm-hmm. All right. We get that. Now right. comes the first question. Can a dead slave see you? Uh, see you if you're in the private or a dead slave? No, I suppose not. No. Probably That's sounds correct. like a logical answer. Right. A dead slave cannot dead. see you. Can a dead slave mm-hmm. hear you? No, they're dead. That's right. They cannot see you. They cannot hear you. That's why you have to be represented in their necromantial cult court systems because they're using the language of the dead and the thing that's wearing the black cloak that you believe you should call honorable indeed is announcing his or herself to you on the bench that they're seated behind, there will be a walnut and brass panel in all likelihood that says honorable such and such, so and so, and it will be in all capital letters. Find me one that's not. Ain't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. Slaves and deceased slaves. So a blind trust. How can a dead slave even see you? Right. You can't even be pulled in if you have a blind trust. In other words, in trying to create all these things, is it like people tell me, well, you know, you could work this job and that job because they pay you under the table. No, 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 no. That's backwards thinking. It's wrong-headed. What is under the table is everything corporate. 
What is on top of the table is everything civil, not corporate. It's backwards. It's always backwards of everything we've been taught to believe. And it starts in Genesis, for heaven's sake. This wrong-headed language of death that takes and gives not was taught to us by our parents, who it was taught to them by their parents, and so on forth back in rote formation. It was taught to us by our Sunday school teachers and our preachers and our ministers and our administrators and our educators and in the public fool system. We are alchemized, hypnotized, and transferred, in the words of Isaac Newton in his alchemy research, from base useless mineral called living flesh into a commercial symbol. That's what they're doing, and it's completely against nature. Nothing is natural about this. Nothing. And that that brings me to natural law, which uh, Pastor Baldwin and I have talked about on the show before. And one of the things I mentioned to him, and I'll, I'll bring it to your attention as well, I was never taught anything about natural law, be it in the church, school, or otherwise. They quit teaching that on purpose, didn't they? Absolutely. If you comprehended your natural power... They would drive the nails through you as fast as they did the Messiah. And I don't know when it changed, but Pastor Baldwin and I discussed it, and he figured it's been at least 100 years since it's been taught in our school systems. I've looked into it in the as regards the, uh, uh, the preamble and the Declaration of Independence and then into the body of the Constitution itself. I've looked into what they call natural law, you know, uh, the natural laws of God and the God of nature, I believe, is how they formulated the terminology. Uh, two different things being discussed there. And where people get led astray is the spring off from those two phrases goes to divine providence. People run around this country and they talk about the religion and the faith of the founding fathers and how they were all this and they were all Christians and this is a Christian nation and on and on and on when actually history denies that it's not so. Most of the founders did not hold an out loud verbal expression of absolute trust in anything the Christians might recognize. Benjamin Franklin was a dyed-in-the-wool member of the Order of the Rose rose red the blood when the stake went in okay rosicrucianists you're probably aware on the history channel uh just a couple weeks ago (laughs) i watched it in 1999 a team of archaeologists who was uh unearthing uh foundation parts and what have you of franklin's home in uh pennsylvania they started finding fragments of human bones they obtained permission from the owner of the building uh, to do a three-foot square dig. Mind you, only three-foot square, and we're talking a building that covers a minimum of a fourth of a city block. In the three-foot square dig, they unearthed over 1,200 human bones. I don't know how there was any room for dirt. It was almost solid bone. <laughs> These bones wow. bore the marks of saw teeth, axe marks, and teeth human teeth that had been filed to points, as is the way of the Rosicrucianists. Okay, that's just Franklin. And the rest of them have their own sordid histories behind them. Nice guys, I would beg to differ. And that's one of the things that I've been studying as well. Uh, Everything we've been taught has been whitewashed. Yes. 
and thoroughly cleansed for our cons- our friendly consumption. Called, <laughs> it's called proscribed. Right. Proscribed is a nautical term, John, and it occurs when a ship that is carrying contraband, like uh, I've written a challenge to state of Montana, I can evidence that the state of Montana is guilty of one million kidnappings and murders. They claim there's a million uh, citizens in uh, this corporation. You can't be a citizen of a corporation. You can only be chattel. So for there to be a million bits of chattel that once were citizens, the citizens had to be offed. The offing was done through prescribement that occurred on the birth certificate of every single citizen, would be the way I would frame this. And I would then allege that due to intent, uh, fictional murders occurred in which the living's names were proscribed out of living form of all small case, all lowercase, and transcribed as a result of prescribement into the fictive state of death slave. I framed this, wrote it on a manila envelope, sent it to him 13 months ago, right down the open face mail, nothing hidden about it. You know what I've heard back for a response? Nothing. Ah, and what is nothing? Silence. And what is silence? Yeah. Oh, and what is silence? Tacit agreement. It's an agreement. (laughs) Silence is admission. That's correct. Now, I've just laid this challenge again, did it the same way, and I did it to the uh, uh, Department of Revenue, state of Montana. Okay? Did the same way. Three weeks. I ain't heard a peep because I'm telling the truth, and they know it. They cannot get away from the truth. All they can do is deny it, but the denial of the truth does not make the truth go away. The truth is a solid, like the land, and it abides and it endures forever. The lies is what comes and goes, and they who tell those lies come and go, but the truthful endure and remain. I'd like to talk to you about sea law, sea wash a little bit. Ties into all this. John, you guys let me know how we're doing on time. We haven't done much for breaks or anything, and I could talk for days, so (laughs) fair warning. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can't get my composure back. (laughs) That wouldn't be the first time, huh, Randy? (laughs) No, (laughs) we've cracked up a lot. So, um, so the, the the admiralty law, is that what you said? Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, now everything we've been talking, I'm going to take the bit here like a runaway horse, and I'm just going to take it and run with it. Go Hang ahead. On. While you're doing that, I, I imagine it's going to take at least a few minutes, right? Oh, uh, four or five days. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, That's good. Better give me time to run upstairs and grab a cough drop, then. I'll be right back. All right. Actually, well, he's, he's running. running let, let, let me just... Pop in there with the, the, the things I know. Leadership, citizenship, uh, the yes. seal, apprenticeship, those kinds of things. Uh, this stuff fascinates me, and I understand that the courts are running on admiralty law. And that's, yes. you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why we don't win, but uh, to not enter the court is the most important thing. Um, before you get into the admiralty law, what do you think about just like if someone is taken to court on traffic or or anything, sending the jurisdictional challenge directly to the judge, and that ends it. That should end it right then and there. Nobody should proceed forward on their side 
if they've been jurisdictionally challenged on paper, signed, notarized, whatever, sent directly to the judge, also sent to whoever the prosecutor is, pro se cuter. Um, hmm. What do you think about that? That is correct. You're exactly right on the money. Now, I would turn your attention as a result of your statement here to a friend of mine in Townsend, Montana, 80 years of age. His name is John Edwin Wright, as in the Wright brothers. He is pushing through in Madison County a case in which are nine charges of treason laid and has successfully secured the backing of former Congressman Denny Reberg. It is a $97 million commercial value. Its foundation is in mining law. This is Wednesday, day after tomorrow. John will be brought back in for oh, maybe the sixth time on this uh, latest round. He has done everything that you just said. He's done it all mm-hmm. right to the has taken his time, has sought wise counsel, has built his case carefully, and tightly, and they cannot escape from him. He has got them, and they know it. So, what is their remedy to this? Three times the local authorities have attacked him. He's been attacked mm-hmm. by a, agents of a large mining firm that sought to uh, plunder his small mine. He has been run over with a truck. He has been sprayed mm. with uh, from 200 feet in the air while he worked on his own private property, improving it. And in the last two months, the local uh, sheriff's department has trespassed on his property and various members of them have pulled weaponry on him while going through all of his buildings. All of this because you see John Edwin Wright, as you, as I, as every American citizen who's not federal was brought forward under the uh, Articles of War, Francis Lieber, the Lieber Code of 1864. Good. Yes, Lieber Code. Very important, the Lieber Code of 1864, in which enmity of the state is put in the word in perpetuity. So even 80 years ago, when John Edwin Wright, my good old friend, was born into this world, he was born already an enemy of the state slash United States, which claims it created these corporate states. The corporate states did not create themselves nor it. It's a role reversal here. I have another friend. I'll be traveling over the weekend just uh, to get the word out for prayers for safety. I'll be traveling mm-hmm. over the weekend back to Gallatin County where a friend of mine is putting together a case bearing 18 charges in it, numerous charges of treason, and a $600 million commercial value based on the SEC uh, security number. Uh, the People's Notice of Rescission is filed by Anna von Reisinger on behalf of the American civil peoples. I'm sure you're aware of all this. I would, again, yeah. advertise for, uh, Anna von Reisinger. She's doing a masterful job. Okay, mm-hmm. These are peoples mm-hmm. who are doing everything you said. They're doing it correctly, perfectly, and to the T. But here's the problem. When they get it into federal court and the feds are skewered to the wall with the truth Mm -hmm. and cannot get away, their back door becomes the 11th Amendment. And they simply say, well, you know, this is a state citizen named John Edwin Wright who's pressing charges against one or more of the United States. 
that doesn't mean he's a state suing a state. It means he's a private state citizen suing federal citizens. And the judicial power of the United States shall not be so construed as to extend it to any case in law or equity when this is the foundation of it. So they're just simply going to move for dismissal or they'll rule uh, whatever they want to do and just dish the whole thing. They're going to ignore it, no matter what. And they're going to use the 11th Amendment just like the 11th Article of the Lieber Code, the Francis Lieber Code of War. By the way, do you know that the name Francis, I researched it. I research names all the time, too. Francis goes mm-hmm. to the word Frank. You ever heard the word Franked? No. Okay, Franked is a Roman word, and it refers to the Society of the Liberi, the Liberi, okay, L-I-B-E-R-I. The Society of the Liberi was a society of people who lived in the woods, who got sick of living in the woods, Uh and wanted not natural law. They wanted commercial law and benefits and privileges, not natural rights. So they abandoned their hovels in the woods, and they moved into town, and once in town, they cleaned up their acts and registered, trick word, themselves Mm -hmm. as citizens. Ancient words here. Mm. Some of these words are 2,500 years old. Okay? Citians. Mm -hmm. Citians goes to city sons, becomes city ains. The word ain is Scottish, and it means one, and one owner only. City ains becomes city zen. Welcome to citizenhood. Citizenship. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, transmorphing of the word, but the intent never changes. That is how Mm -hmm. people look their unalienable natural rights when they register as a citizen. It's actually a mistake to register, in my opinion, as a state citizen. Private, public, doesn't matter. You don't register your name, and you don't let nobody else do it for you. You never agree. The word agree, I'll swing back and close this a little bit. The word agree is a conjunctive word. You have the letter A, and you have the word agree, G-R-E-E. You know. That in ancient English feudal land law, agree is a form of feudal law. If you agree with the court, you're yielding the knee to their feudal claims as being the dominant land baron over your name. That's why the court. You can't even you. hardly talk. What do we do? Ah, could this possibly? <laughs> yeah, could this possibly be the reason why about 1888 the bar came out and said, "Hey, by the way, we've uh, copyrighted sound." So if you come into our jurisdiction, into our realms, and you go, ah, you are in violation of our copyright, and we'll just go ahead and have you done away with. Yeah, you we've just how- told people, if you're going to go into court, take take a, a, a meaning of every word you're going to use and hand it to them and say, this is my definition of the word, so this is the context that I'm actually using it in. And I know I just said context. So. Um, but to say this is what the meaning is for the people that aren't necessarily educated enough to avoid court altogether, yeah, go in yeah. with at least your own dictionary of your words that you're going to use so they can't interpret it in their minds to what their word is in Black's Law or anything else. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's what codes and statute, not being law, are, are open to interpretation, and it turns you into a subject. You're subjected to interpretation, and that's why the word subject mm-hmm. is used further on in the 11th Amendment. If mm-hmm. you're subject to interpretation, you're subject to a foreign state because interpretation can become foreign to domestic soil in a flash. All I have to do is change the size of the spine, and it's done. Mm-hmm. 
just exactly. that quick. Yeah. So how are we going to ever establish a cure when the remedy is so bollocks that there is no application that can be brought forward to stop this ex-sanity? Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to do that is peaceful resolve? How are we ever supposed to float our ships into safe harbor? When What's this the answer? <laughs> is, I have not found one. I don't like the answer I'm looking at, and it's the only one yeah. I see. Barring off-planet yeah. help that people call miracles, Myracletuses, uh, miracles, bright and shining constellary events of the East, <laughs> angelic mm-hmm. help, whatever you want to call it, uh, it looks to me like it's farm wars for all. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and I made it back. <laughs> I've been chuckling with <laughs> Um, well, I never even let him get to Admiralty Law. <laughs> no, we're, we've never, what, you think that we've never left it? Well, yeah, yes, no, yes, you're right. We've never left it because everything we're talking about is sea wash. Everything is sea law. Let me turn your mind on to this old phrase. Or John here, he's trying to get a word in edgewise, and he's, I've got him all stymied here. The old phrase, quote, this is where... The unstoppable force meets the immovable object, end quote. Have you ever heard that? I have heard it. Who said it? I cannot tell you who said it. I would tell you it is ancient in its nature and would take you to creationary days of the planet itself. Mm. Do you know what it actually means? Tell us. Okay. Have you ever heard of the word erosion? Yes. Yes. All right. When you hear the word erosion, what do you see occurring in your mind? Oil falling away. Yeah. That's correct. Soil into the into the water, whatever you know. All right. Let's put it on a more grand scale. Take your mind to uh, the beach in California. Have a look in your mind at the waves coming in and how the waves come in, cover the dry land, Yibish, and take it back out with them again, right Mm -hmm. by right by Mm -hmm. right, grain by grain by grain. The unstoppable Mm -hmm. force is called sea wash, the perpetual eroding away of the natural alienable right of the farm, farm, the farmer of farm number one, the dry land, as committed, it is committed that the, the unstoppable uh, force is the commitment against the farmer who is the immovable object. The land called earth is the immovable object, and it is there for the splundering, for the uh, spoliating, for the plundering <laughs> by the sea, committed by the sea. It's the perpetual erosion. Now, I'm sure you're aware that the word erosion uh, attrition, things of this nature always turn up in these political discussions, judicial discussions, the erosion of rights. That's exactly what it is. That's why sea law, wherever it's practiced, that is the part that is, uh, this is where the unstoppable force is the sea law meets, and that's wherever the discussion is being held, and this discussion is being held now in your mind. So it is now in your mind that the unstoppable force is meeting with the immovable object. Which one shall yield? 
Will seawash law prevail, or will the dry land law prevail? Which law is higher according to the creationary account? Is it the law of the land that was given uh, ordered authority to rise above the surface of the waters and supersede the waters, supersede sea law? Or is it the waters yeah. that were used to yield? Which one is it? And you're right, oh, land man. law. Mm-hmm. So why are we talking pirate terminology in Montana? Why do I see the Coast Guard on the British waterways that have pavement or gravel on them? You call them a road. Why do I see Coast Guard out here in Cotton Pick in Montana? It is because the bar claims that sea law is above the law of the land, and therefore they are simply navigating their vessels wherever they're ordered to go or wherever they choose to go across the land without ever touching the land. They are floating on a sea of imagination. This being said, what then does that do for the condition of Earth? If we're talking sea law, what's the earth like at the bottom of the ocean? What do they call it? Davy Jones's locker. Soggy bottom, boys. It's a soggy bottom down there. You have a soggy potter's field in which are buried all the dead slaves. How do we know? Because they're always addressed in all capital letters by the pirates who put them there. You like? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I don't like, but... <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> you are correct. All right. Well, let's move on a little bit because I don't want to beat a dead horse to death, but it's very important. It's, it's so old. It's so complex. <clears throat> There's so many facets to it, and I can just rabbit trail you for forever on this stuff, and I really kind of want to stay on point because I'd really like for this to reach Lavoie's family. The simple facts okay. are that Roy, uh, Lavoie's name was proscribed at birth, And because he did not come forward, I'm willing to bet, by the Mm -hmm. end of his year and protest such proscribement, he was automatically ejected out of the ownership of his own name. As a result of being ejected off the farm, he was then spoliated, enslaved, and plundered. And that plunderment, the BLM, was conducting it as well as all the other various ABC facets of the corporation. That calls itself the United States for America. The change in wording and in all capital case, 41st Congress, 1871. After being spoliated by them, they took his name and they assessed the, is not his name now, they took the slave name, the all caps Lavoie Finicum, and they commercialized it. That's why it shows up in all caps. Next, they assigned it a fictive commercial value. They looked at Lavoie's family line, and they said, well, in Lavoie's family line, he's got doctors, he's got kings, he's got bankers, he's got whatever he's got. And we're going to make a risk assessment here, a hedge bet, that Lavoie Finicum, though an infant now, is going to produce uh, $7 million worth of capital across his 65 years. We'll hedge that bet now and uh, we'll securitize on that hedged bet. And because we've hedged on that bet now, and it's laid out on the table, we'll kick it around three times and see who will uh, see it and who will up it. It gets kicked back and forth between the states, 
and the uh, Treasury and, uh, and the Federal Reserve, and in the process of getting kicked back and forth, each one takes their turn at seeing it and raising that bet so hedged. Thus, this $7 million is hedged each time by 100% of the former. $70 million in a flash, $700 million, $7 billion. Okay, this may be a little extreme to you, but I guarantee you this is how the Rees, the Res Public Anus Party builds what is in the national coffer, and what is in the national coffer is called debt. They are the farm party so charged with raising the debt. It is the crop that they were assigned to raise in 1789. Yes, at that time, it was backed by uh, mineral security and indeed the names of the citizens. But as you know, thanks to uh, FDR and various other ones, the mineral security has gone away. And all that's left is the names of the citizens. And that's why your name is the surety for their debt. This is how they did it. They proscribed mineral value right out of the equation and left in the immaterial, your name, and then bound you as a slave to it. This was done to Lavoie. So these three times, now that this process has been completed, they guarantee they're going to lose him at sea. That's a given. There will be a storm at sea. There will be some kind of a focuso, and Lavoie Finicum will be pitched overboard, as will all of you, unless we get a handle on this. You will be pitched off the vessel, lost at sea, missing, and presumed drowned because of this pre-rated, pro-rated rate feed, what you call ratified, this rate feed process. You are destined to be jettisoned so that the insurance now laid on the triply enhanced value of the cargo destined to be lost at sea can be collected. They can't collect it until you're jettisoned. You have to be lost before they can lay the claim. No, you like? No, you have to be. Hmm. <clears throat> so, being he was the spokesperson or de facto spokesperson for the for the group, uh, well, him and Ammond, I guess, but it was more focused on Lavoy, especially right in the probably the ten days leading up to the shooting. So they had to cut the head off the snake. Was that their mentality? Do you think? Well, absolutely. If you were a professional pirate and passing yourself off as a U.S. Supreme Court justice or a lower court tribunal justice of the peace or anything in between, or any member of that uh, immature forever body of bastards called Congress, so named by the Founding Fathers, or any other corporate administrative office holder bearing title, would you wish for anybody to comprehend this conversation we're having tonight? No, absolutely not. What would you do? Well, they, yeah, and the other part of it is they were moving to Grant County. They were about to make a lateral move and a permanent one where they had a friendly, at least constitutionally minded sheriff, as they call it, mm-hmm. who is going to essentially protect them from the feds. Mm-hmm. They also had ranchers there that would have allowed them to camp out on their private yeah. property. That's right, and all the days you're referring to, I would remind you all the days were born into what? Slavery. Enmity status of the United States. Enmity. So proclaimed by Abraham Rothschild Lincoln, 1863. Now, was that when he declared martial law as well, or how did that work? Because Martial law is a spinoff of the Emergency War Powers Act. Okay. I found a quote from Lincoln in eight, that he quoted in 1858. 
Lincoln comprehended this conversation that we're having. Don't kid yourself. He absolutely comprehended it. Lincoln said, quote, I fear that there are those within my Congress, my cabinet, I fear they who have been bound to perpetual immaturity turn to a program of chaos from which to arise a phoenix. That's his quote. And the way I got that was by doing jail for 30 days and utilizing the <laughs> the jail's library. <laughs> oh, wow. Good job. All right. <laughs> Always look for good. Book out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always look for good. Always look for good. Don't ever be downhearted about things. Always look for the good. There's a chance to minister. The people that are hurting in those jails are unbelievable. And as you can tell from the Flathead Beacons articles, the jailhouse walls are Busting at the seams, business is booming, and the bankers are just stacking them in the vaults that you think is a jail cell. That all being said, Lincoln, back to his quote, comprehended what the founders had done to Congress. He knew it. And he feared them because he knew that there were those amongst them that were trying to break the bond, break the restraints. And when they broke those restraints, they would have to cover it up somehow. There would have to be camouflage. And Lincoln knew that war was imminent. He knew. In a strange way, in spite of his knowing, he was absolutely complicit with it. And I cannot find evidence where he wasn't. He worked hand in hand to see it come along. All I can say is it must be part of these psychopathic uh, subjects that I've looked into. Which uh, is the old Latin phrase of a post hoc ergo alter hoc, which means in the subject of law, there is no logic. Okay? And and that's all you can say for a psychopath, which is one of our problems. People like you and me and Big John and all the other fine American people out there who are trying to figure this out, well, we keep coming at it from a standpoint of logic. And you can't apply logic to an incurable psychopath won't work you can't change them you can't counsel them out of it they won't repent their little show of whatever is just a show of whatever because inside of them the dna is saying oop game's up gotta one-up somebody else but there will never be true repentance and your desire for cure established as a remedy utilized through an application of which they're forced to admit confess, admit, repent, and restore ain't ever going to happen. And you're not ever going to get them to do it. They, they won't. They won't. But Trump, because America. <laughs> <laughs> so, said, <clears throat> Lincoln opened the door. Lincoln opened the door for the central bankers to come in, as was in his filial uh, predecessor's wishes, tied all the way back to France. And in so doing, revealed that he feared that there were those around him. He knew he could not uh, he could not count on them. They were going to treason him somehow. Now, seeing what he actually got accomplished, perhaps their treasonous activity would have been that of uh, Thomas Paine's, uh, not Thomas Paine, but uh, Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death. Do you know that Patrick Henry so hated George Washington and the other four main founders that he said, quote, one time, if I could, I would have them stood to the wall and shot before sundown. 
You'll find this around the Articles of Confederation, which I confess I haven't had much time to get into them. But Patrick Henry knew what they were doing, and he hated it and refused to be a part of it and exposed it to the point of they did to him what they did to Lavoie, who is doing the same thing that Thomas is doing, that I am doing, that many, many other good and fine people far beyond me are, are doing this very night. Wow. So the martial law order, the executive order, never was rescinded, was it? It is reenacted in silence, January 1st, when Congress and the Office of Executive swing back into the saddle on an annual basis. All they got to do is simply not speak that it's revoked. If you don't say it's revoked, it's not revoked. There you go. That means it's still standing. Hmm. See what can be done in silence? And see, the other part of that is, is what people don't realize is things like that, Obamacare, um, on and on. Okay, all of this horrible legislation and all these horrible executive orders. Once government has that power, they're not going to give it up just because you asked oh, them to. No, no. <laughs> See, and this is where we enter the, uh, what was the phrase I read this morning while I was drinking coffee? It was called pathological altruism. Pathological altruism is a phrase recently come forward in the uh, uh, pathology circles that describes a process that a psychopathical person will undertake via appearance of promoting someone else's welfare while actually knowing that that which is being promoted is going to lead to the other person's harm, to their destruction, if at all possible. That is called pathological altruism. Now, when you take that simple little bit of knowledge and you apply it to the entire corporation and you assess everything they're doing up against it, all the hollow promises, everything that the immature body of bastards talks about doing and cannot ever get done because they have no standing, they're not withstanding. They don't have any. Okay? This then begins to warn you about Agenda 21 and the progressives. Here we had Congress. Now we're going to talk progress. You've got the word gress, ingress, egress, progress, congress, all these gresses. Once again, you've got sound expressed in symbol form as causing navigation. Your mind first is going somewhere and your body secondarily will follow. Whether it be in a primary uh, state or as a reactionist, there's going to be physical uh, contact along the way here. When they promote all these welfare programs, handouts for the needy, and yet they're causing the welfare state and causing the needy by stripping away the jobs and sending them overseas under the guy's was cheaper over there. Well, heck yeah, it is because the IRS is promoting packages of everybody's welfare through packages of everybody's destruction. And so any American uh, manufacturing systems is going to take the bait. Because they're going to cut costs, and they're going to take their program overseas, and they're going to set it up over there where it's cheaper, and it might be slave labor, but that's the way they're going to go, because the IRS, behind the face of good things, is actually destroying them via the multifaceted uh, processes of taxing them right out of business. 
and overthrow of the farm. And that's what it all comes back to over and over. I don't care how you come at it. This is about a land grab and you're the land they intend to grab. Well, let me, let me jump in and give a bigger picture. And I'm curious to know if you thought about it this way, since we are the land grab, we're the collateral. We're also the collateral for all of the quote unquote debt. Now, not me, because I'm pulling out of the system, but if it makes sense for them to go ahead and drop the chemtrails and kill off as many as they can with cancer, remove the cures as much as they possibly can, uh, poison the water so you you get sick and die that way, uh, deplete the soil of all the nutrients, poison the entire food supply with the Monsanto seed where it's not regeneratable. Regener- uh, the farmers can't save their seed. All the lawsuits going on trying to put the little guy out of business. When the the land grab of the people die they get to cash in on that birth account which is worth probably hundreds of millions if not trillions of dollars if not uncountable they get to cash that in you're the collateral for the debt you are the land grab wouldn't it make sense uh Uh, and it goes along with them being go ahead you're precisely on it. You're 100% correct. So they there are eugenicists. Open. They're very open about saying, hey, we want everyone dead. Oh, yes. So they kill oh, yes. them. Let me swing you back to a really ancient time. I'll use one word okay. to do it with. Druids. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, have you ever looked into the subject of druids? No. All right. Well, I've had ample opportunity and have written tons about it. I can speak with evidence as to uh, the historical presentment of the Druids. The Druids are your high priests. Okay, They're the Kabbalish, uh, Kabbalist-minded uh, bunches that are psychopathical. The Druids, right. uh, there were some division amongst their ranks. Mainly, there were some weather tellers. Uh, they are called the Augury. Oh, by the way, the word Augury? Guess where it's at in the Constitution of 1789? Where? That's correct. I heard it in the background. Good for you. The word inauguration. Inauguration, the inaugural ball, the inaugury. Why in the world do we have an augury in any word that affects our body of governing law? That's pretty suspicious, don't you think? Seems mm-hmm. like there's fortune tellers in here. Hmm. So maybe the voters ain't really picking after all. Maybe the fortune tellers are the oh, let's say uh, let's say they're the College of Castle of uh, 531 B.C. Or perhaps they're the Board of Regents that was known as the School mm-hmm. of Augur 531 B.C. Mm-hmm. Either way, they're the fortune tellers. They're the predictors. Oh, and welcome to the pollsters when we use the word predictors. The word dict, diction, prediction, jurisdiction, the claimed area of speech, the area so spoken over. Druids, to get us back on track here, are famous in history for what kind of events? You said you hadn't looked into it much, so I'll just take the bit a minute and run with it. Druids are really famous for a fun little festival and balloon-filled event called the Wicker Man. Ever heard of that? No. 
<laughs> Burning Man. Ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, back in the day, the animals looked like me and you because they were the same animals then that uh, they are now. So claimed by the system, and I can back this with the evidence in Latin. In the spring of the year, March, April, and May, Maypole, Mayfair, it was a wild custom of the Druids to offer tons and tons of blood sacrifices. They would send their rogue bands of herders of the animals to herd the animals. They'd send them into the forest where animals like me lived at in our hovels, and they would gather us all up, herd us through the ancient oak groves, and into a series of pens and corrals. From there, we would be forcibly removed and injected, think ejected, injected, into the stomach area of very large wooden statues, okay, figurines, images. Thou shalt have no graven images before thee, nor ones made out of wood, nor ones called a driver's license in your hip pocket. That's a graven image. It's supposed to be forbidden by ecclesiastical law. Hmm. So anyway, they would herd these uh, poor animals that look like me and you up into the stomach areas, the abdomen, the womb of Stick figures 30 to 50 feet high, and as many as they could possibly stuff in there, they'd cage them, bind them, and then they'd set the whole dang thing on fire. That was their sacrifice to the crop gods, so that they might not have drought and their crops, crops might uh, produce uh, better than the year before. Okay, That's the extreme thing that the druids are known for, and indeed the Wicker Man event, uh, a Wicker Man event of sorts, still takes place to this day on this soil down in Arizona. Stonehenge, Stonehenge, the Menhurs, as they're called, the basaltic uh, monoliths that are found in the three rings of the Stonehenge, of which there are way over 300 various Stonehenge around uh, Earth, probably <laughs> well past a thousand at this point, to rate are being discovered. These were all representative of positions. One rock, one office. One slab, one position. Inner ring, middle ring, outer ring. And more important than the rings that your eyes behold is the avenues in between the rings that your eyes fail to pick out because you're busy looking at the rocks. It's the avenue that holds the bigger of the weight in this subject. It is the rite of passage in between the stones, each stone being representative of a, let's say, a planetary ruler, some kind of a heavy governor, heavy-duty governor. Stones put into their position for a memorial. Stones removed from their position for what? Treason. Hmm. Fancy that. Druids are bloodletters. And they are psychopathic. You're not going mm -hmm. to change them. They are the Skull and Bone Societies. The Bush Dynasty, 3,000 years of age, is absolutely tied in to this very subject. Hundreds more are of these royal, quote-unquote, title nobility-bearing families. A lot of them are so inbred that the DNA they physically carry within their physical construct is so twisted, <laughs> if you could pull it out and ask it if it was him, and it wouldn't even be able to respond. It, it's, it's completely animalistic. And this mindset, this memory that their DNA carries is the memory that they are always the high priest and you and I are always the animals there for them to always have to sacrifice. Always. And it's an unchanging process. You can bring reincarnation right into the subject at this point. They will flatly tell you, we know that we're gods. 
And we know that we never die. And we know that man has an eternal soul. It never dies. The body perishes, but the soul never does. So we, the gods who never die, have no fear of death. Because we know that we're going to come back to this old grove called earth, and so is man. So we, the sacrificers, will forever have the sacrifices to the gods which are us. And the show goes on. This is the mindset based on the DNA impressed into it by the memories of centuries of the most heinous activity the mind could even begin to entertain. Stuff done that defies explanation and description. So, feeding off of that, what in what would your opinion be on the status of or what happened with Justice Scalia? Well, it all it all appears suspicious, <laughs> but I mean, of course, we're never going to know for sure how he passed. Interestingly enough, uh, I referenced earlier that I had prevailed at a jury trial to the state hosted, and I took away from them uh, a year ago this past June. In that court case. I got a number of things done. I want to speak carefully here a minute because there was so much got done that it was it was just crazy the amount that was accomplished. It was all filmed by KBZK, whose station manager, John Schur, upon realizing what his crew had filmed, locked that dude up and uh, <laughs> even told the judge that I ordered to call him and command that DVD to be a copy of it to be sent to me untendered, told the judge to jump off a cliff. You don't have near the authority to make me release that DVD. Without taking you through all the details of that case, I used as a basis of one of my platforms in which I barred the usage of legalese in the court. Okay, I used a case that Justice Scalia presided over, and you'll know it as the famous Dick Anthony Heller case out of New York. Uh, what, 1999, 1997, something like that, I think. Maybe it's even further back than that. I actually was trying to find it amongst my files here in the last couple of days and just ain't looked in the right hole. My point for referencing this to you is this. In the first one-fourth of the pages, it's a 79-page long case, Justice Scalia refused the arguments presented by both plaintiff and defendant sides because the attorneys were using legalese. And Scalia said, no legalese. Now, mind you, he did this 23 times verbally, and it was printed as such on the document that he completely shut them down, finally lost his temper and said, no more. Don't try it again. You will use, both sides here will use common English as of the type that the common man standing on the street of 1789 would comprehend and understand. I'm sure you know that comprehend and understand are two separate words. You know that understand means stand under, and comprehend means, well, I'm looking into it. I get it. Okay? Beware. Judge says to you, do you understand, Randy? And you go, Oh, yeah, your head. You just agreed. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Right. Welcome to Farm Wars. So my point no, is, I, I use this. <laughs> yeah, I, you never agree. 
never agree, never agree, and never understand. No, you don't yield nothing, and you don't don't yield them your honorable sounds. Don't you just utterly ignore them, cotton pictures. They have no jurisdiction whatsoever, and cannot unless you create the appearance in which they can lay a claim that you were too mentally incompetent to stop them. And it's all done by a perio appearance. So Scalia has this court case. I submit it to the court amongst uh, nine documents that I filed, including the 1855 Hellgate Treaty of Montana as one of the guiding charters for me personally, because I'm not a 17, I'm not 1871 corporate chattel. In my standing is of the 1789 civil civilian citizenry type status. Therefore, because uh, Montana was a territory as of 1789, I am to be uh, subjected to or am to subject my thoughts to the consideration of the only territorial treaty that's ever held sway and still does to this very second Montana, and that's the 1855 Hellgate Treaty. I filed it in full. The referee that day was a judge out of Ennis named Arthur J. Bear, B-E-H-A-R. Very nice guy. Proclaimed himself in detail to be a constitutional judge and went on at length about it. And when he was done at length, uh, oh, by the way, I'd already made him on the record take me as a prisoner of war, which at which point I was forced to cross the bar against my will and could no longer be held accountable or prosecutable for anything I had to say, do, or sign once on that foreign territory under force. I did not enter voluntarily. Okay, very interesting case. My gosh, you would love this. My uh, <laughs> The documents and everything <laughs> that that make up that case, the book that I've got them contained in weighs 28 pounds. That's how much work wow. I put in thing. Okay, so the judge... Wow. Arthur Bear had a cow, a good cow, <laughs> when he saw this case. And in Chambers, he said to me, Ernie, he never did call me Mr. Detective. He always called me on a first-name basis. He said, Ernie, you don't, do not realize what you have done when you invoke this case here that Justice Scalia presided over. I said, yes, I do know what I'm doing with it. I'm binding legalese, and I'm using his U.S. Supreme Court uh, jurisdiction to get it done with. He said, comprehended. I am the one who wrote all the semantics for that case, and I know precisely why you filed it at this juncture. You're right on the money. He said, now, I've lived for years on the bench looking for an American who can do this, and I think you're going to get it done, and I did get it done, not because I'm somebody special, but because I'm dedicated to the cause of freedom and truth, just like you, just like Lavoie, just like all of them. Same thing, no different, okay? So, that being said, Scalia, if you look into the news excerpts that are coming out regarding what he was about to do in his near uh, career, his near future, one of his next rulings as a conservative judge, he was going to overturn a ruling from almost 40 years ago that would be anti-union now. It was pro-union then, and in a program of collection of fees from members, and he was going to overturn that. Do you remember this past mm. summer when the Jade Helm subject was in everybody's eye? Yes. Do you remember that? Okay. Let me tie this in. Uh, in Jade Helm, there's a series of symbols. Let me know if you need to break here, John. Well, I was just going to say, I, I've got a T-shirt 
in my one of my drawers that says, I survived Jade Helm 15. All I got was a tinfoil hat. Just <laughs> 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 trying to have a laugh because we're dealing with some serious dark subjects. Awfully heavy, awfully heavy, I realize. <laughs> no, I we really appreciate it. Believe me, this knowledge is awesome, and we we all need to hear this. And this is what I've told my listeners two weeks ago. Two weeks ago yesterday, I said, look, we're going to bring people like Randy and Ernie on this show because unlike other shows out there, like mine, I'm not going to consider everybody dumbed down. There are still people that have intelligence and the ability to use such intelligence. <laughs> so that's why I've got you on the show, and I really do appreciate you being here. So don't worry about rambling because we're, <laughs> we're, we're getting a lot out of your what you call rambling or whatever, we, we're getting a lot out of it. So. Well, it's so many centuries spread, you see. It's just it's taken years to put all this together to see the big picture. Right. So he was working on this case about the unions. Yes, and I want to tie it back into the Jade Helm because the Holy Spirit tells me that there's a connection. If you look into the symbology as expressed by Jade Helm, most of you are probably aware that uh, there's two or three different symbols, but all kind of comprising the same elements. There being a circle as a seal with a series of words, both English, French, and Latin, <laughs> all in one. And a pair of crossed, what would pass for Comanche arrows. And if you look very, very, very closely, right at the uh, bisection where the arrows were laid over top of each other, Interposed on top of that bisection is a very, very faint image of a blue wooden Dutch clog. The old order. My people wore them back when they uh, fled Holland in uh, World War II. I have relatives that literally came into the Gallatin County wearing the uh, blue wooden shoes of tulip wood. You have to look very, very close, but that blue shoe is there. That blue shoe is called a sable. The T is silent. Yep, sebot. But the T is silent. It's a French word. I'm looking at it. Yes, I'm looking at it here on John's website now, and he's got the shoe. You can see it pretty good here running crosswise with the arrows across the sword. Short sword. The sebo, blue Dutch wooden clog specifically, is the type of shoes that the Dutch peasantry were wearing while working in the factories called French millinaries at the time of the French Revolution. The Dutch peasants would get sick of uh, French millinery ways and being gypped or worked too many hours, whatever, slave labor, and so they would form an agreement amongst themselves. This is early union, if you would. Union, of course, is ancient, but they would form a union amongst themselves in an agreement that they were then going to sabot the millinery works. At an appointed time, certain ones would remove those heavy blue wooden shoes and would throw them into the wooden teethed cogs and gears that drove those millinaries, causing the gears not only to jam, but the teeth to break and sometimes the shafts to jump its sockets. That's sabotage, okay? But remember, the T is to be silent, so it would be an odd word like sabotage. All right, it's a French word, by the way. As a result, Commerce was now impeded. Millinery shut down for at least a day until repairs could be made, maybe longer. 
And the Dutch peasants had to be let go because there was nothing more they were going to accomplish there. Maybe if you retained for mechanical purposes, but everybody else sent home. All right. If you tie this into what Scalia was near to doing, I would say it's very logical in just my humble opinion that he was going to sabotage the unions with this next court ruling that was going to go against them. Okay. You see the similarity here? And true to form, he was Mm -hmm. removed. He was viewed as the monkey wrench in the gears, and they jerked him out so the gears did not face impediment, the gears of commerce. Now, this is just my opinion, and I'm far removed from any elements or aspects of the case. Of them all, Scalia seems to hold the most value as an honorable member of that uh, nine layers of the Enneads. And you can search it out for yourself. That's the nine layers of hell. <laughs> yeah, nine predominant. But in my opinion, I think that's what was done. But that's just my opinion. And who am I, after all, up here in Montana? So more will come out. <laughs> Well, that's that's what I think. I think it's going to take somebody from the inside leaking it out in order for us to ever really know. And then, of course, they're going to skewer him in the press and discredit whoever, him or her, you know. So we may never really truly know, but it sure seems unusual that he was found in repose mm-hmm. and with a pillow over his head who sleeps that way. <laughs> and, yeah. And, either, and fully clothed, uh, it isn't specific that I have found yet that whether it was his clothes mm-hmm. he was wearing at dinner the night before, or if it was... But anyway, they rushed it off. And I can't make this shit up, okay? The the judge, or the justice of the peace, was named Cinderella. (laughs) I know, right? You can't make this shit up. You can't. Cinderella. Cinderella. Okay, so according to Texas law, from what I've researched, they can... Justice of the peace can do that. Can say no autopsy is required. Otherwise, Texas except State law. When, except when it looks like it's foul play. Right. But they came out right away, the marshal did at least, and said, oh, no, there's there's no foul play here. There's no foul play here. And then they called radio or TV stations and said, no, there's no foul play. Well, why bring it up Because they at needed, the top of the subject? They needed to proscribe the evidence. Remember that word proscribe, and remember that it means when there is a vessel about that is suspected the vessel would now be his body. Right. And it might be suspected of carrying contraband, and let's say contraband is usually the reference directly to slaves. Let's say the contraband in this case is some kind of an identifiable poison. Right. When that vessel sees that it's about to be boarded and undergone inspection, the captain of that kind of a vessel will proscribe the manifesto. And we'll get rid of the evidence of slaves on board in hoping that visual inspection will miss them buried deep in the hold. So visual inspection, called an autopsy, which is more than visual, I realize, of the vessel named Scalia, mm-hmm. could possibly reveal the evidence uh, of poison, uh, a contraband drug. Right. Well, that's why it, it seemed like immediately that he was taken to a funeral home and then embalmed. There let me are. let me bring up something. Can I jump in there? You bet. Both you young men. Okay. So I don't know how true this is, but if you think about it, this is a pattern. 
And if you look at uh, the guy who was the head of the Enron scandal, we didn't see his body. They said he had a heart attack. He had a closed casket memorial service. They said he was the biggest scammer in our generation. But yet all of the living presidents showed up at the quote-unquote memorial service. And they uh, said that they cremated him right away, no autopsy necessary. That's one. Number two, uh, you got Osama bin Laden that they supposedly got in the compound. Uh, get them all wrapped up, throw them overseas. No witnesses to this except suppose that, you know, we don't, we don't have any footage of this. Now we have Scalia, Cinderella, <laughs> who pronounces him dead without seeing a body. And then you've got supposedly who found him said there was foul play, but the story was there was no foul play. They said, no, we don't need to do an autopsy. Well, yes, you do when there's foul play, especially of a Supreme Court uh, justice. Um, doesn't it seem like the same pattern? We're not seeing anybody. Who were the 35 to 40 people at the dinner party? Um, you know, it's just, it's just sketchy. It's the same pattern. We haven't seen a body. They're rushing to say no foul play. They're rushing to say, oh, uh, probably natural causes. They're rushing to cremate or get rid of the body as quickly as possible. Nobody will see a thing here, but yet you're believing the story. What if this guy's still alive? What if they just have him? Who would know? We don't know. We and haven't seen the, Jack. And with all the crap that they've been pulling now, especially the past, uh, well, since 2001, ever since the Patriot Act was passed, Yeah, you got got the guy who went into the airport. You have no reason to believe him. The guy who supposedly shot up at the TSA in the L.A. airport, his name was Al Ciencia. I don't know if you heard this one, Ernie, but Al Ciencia, Ciencia, spelled (laughs) C-I-A-N-C-I-A. What? Well, I was chuckling to myself when you used the word. You said we hadn't seen Jack. I was thinking Cinderella and uh, Jack Rabbit or Peter. This is like, are yeah. we living in the twilight zone here? I mean, we're not seeing bodies. We're hearing the same story. Uh, no, no autopsies needed. Now, there's been reports of the guy, and I'm blanking on his name, that was the head of the Enron scandal. And there's been reports, because he didn't have to pay up the billions of dollars, that he's now living in the Bush compound uh, over in, like, Argentina, where they're surrounded, uh, I think it's Argentina, on two or three sides by military base. So nobody can enter either side, and it's thousands upon thousands of acres. And this guy's living out the life of luxury over there. If he was the biggest scammer, uh, in, that that we've ever seen in our generation, why did all the presidents show up at his memorial oh service? Because he did them homage <laughs> by bilking all the people out of all those billions and billions and billions of dollars. He did their bidding. Oh. Was that Kenneth Lay that did that? Was that the name? Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. No, yeah just, saw an open just, casket. No autopsy. <laughs> Two brain cells rubbed together and they popped in. <laughs> and you're right. That's mm-hmm. exactly why all the presidents showed up there because that's a gathering of uh, pirates. What's the Bible say about where the carcass is? Thither shall the eagles gather. Well, there's a lot mm-hmm. more into that, but uh, oh, yeah, definitely. 
and utilizing. I mean, this let's ser- not say Scalia is dead yet. Let's. I mean, uh, show me something. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah, definitely show us something. <laughs> well, and then to, what if he's what point. if he's hostage? Well, to that point too, why did the family come out right away and say, "Oh, yeah, we agree with that. No autopsy required by us," because they had the option, right. obviously, having a private autopsy mm-hmm. done. Why did they just chime in like instantly, almost exactly. instantaneously, and say, "So"? To me, that shows that either their lives are threatened, mm-hmm. if they didn't go along with the game, or, like you said, maybe he's not dead. Either way, they're going to get away with this once again. Unless we, the mm-hmm. people, put to it. And the way they're going to right. do it, the way they're going to lay claim to immunity through proscribement is because the result of a proscribement, when it's transferred into all capital letters, you get an award. What's the award? It's called a license. And remember to put the mm-hmm. E in the right place. A license, I mm-hmm. carry around the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in my shirt pocket. A license, according to the U.S. Supreme Court ruling, is permission granted by a competent authority, double, so that you can go out and do something that is without permission. That's the quote. Well, something without permission means you could go do anything that's lawful. So you never needed permission in the first place because what you wished to do was lawful. However, if you wish to do that, which is unlawful, you have to have a license. And once you have the license, you have immunity. It's a commercial privilege to have immunity, you know. It's a natural right to stand and face charges if you've actually caused harm. It's also a natural right to be let go if there's no evidence or preponderance thereof that you caused harm. Nobody was slandered, nobody was hurt. But back to the court ruling. Once you've got the license, you can now go do something illegal, trespass, slander, cause harm, commit a tort. That is the rest of the direct quote. So, what did all the presidents have? A license to what? Lie, murder, steal, everything the thief comes for, according to the good book. What do all these uh, actors and agents carry around with them? They wipe it out of their shirt pocket and snap open that fancy brass badge and that little chunk of plastic underneath of it, and then they announce, I'm God from the government, and I'm here to help you. That's called a lie sense to lie, steal, and kill, and then claim immunity. And get it from the same Supreme Court that Scalia was a member of. Hence all the... uh... Officers with unjustifiable shootings getting off scot-free. That's exactly the deal. (laughs) You see the need of the people's grand jury? You don't create a grand jury out of the family of murderers that the murderer comes from. If a military raid is conducted on a civilian and the civilian is harmed in any way, shape, or form, you don't conduct a military tribunal to investigate the ways of the offenders and then find them all to be little angels. You gather a gathering of civilians, and the civilians investigate the activities of the military that was there to protect them from harm, not cause them harm. And when the civilians figure out the evidence, then comes forward a finding. And off of the finding, 
comes forward a civil punishment that is uh, military, militaristically fitting, and it may be farm labor for the rest of that one's life. It may be worse than that. Capital punishment can be extremely brutal. This is a deep and deadly subject. No jokes here. Wow. So we have motive, obviously. Um, not only that, but of course he was a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment. Our right to keep and bear arms. But of course that right was granted to us by a creator, wasn't it not? What did Yeshua the Messiah say? Get a sword. If you don't have the money to get one, sell your cloak and go get one. Okay, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit and making it simple, but that's essentially what he said. What does it take to maintain absolute peace? It takes the capacity and the willingness to commit the worst atrocities of war as may be necessary to convince those who would rob you of your peace that they'd ought to not do that. That's the sad case of the whole thing. When you live in a world in which pirates rule and rule as though they were high priests unto the offensive gods, you've got no other choice left. There is no other recourse. When everything civil has been thrown in the dirt and tram, what even Franklin, what do you write about the long train of usurpation? Well, the long train of abuses and usurpations has been parked in our front yards for so long that it's buried under George Bush's Ivy Leagues. You know, promoting revolution. I'm promoting a revolution of the mind, the heart, the soul, and the tongue. You better start thinking a different way, talking a different way, walking and living a different way, and quit enlivening that which is killing us. Quit participating in the madness. Is it going to cost you? First question out of everybody's mouth when I tell them this, they say, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> well, I whipped the IRS in 2011 and immediately lost my job of 23 and a half years. That was my reward mm. for making the IRS uphold their own code and statute and keeping myself as a lawful citizen. Okay, since then, word has spread far and wide, and I have refused to keep my mouth shut about it. So I have seeded the land with these droppings of knowledge, and there's not a soul on earth that will hire me at this point because it is now a felony for me to fill out or even touch in any way the documents of the Internal Revenue Service. If I even touch them and make a mark on them, I can be sent to prison for 20 years or find $100,000 or both. Same with the and Social what's Security. the grounds for that? I'm like not a federal the, citizen. If right, I, and then, if, yeah, so. And I'm impersonating a federal citizen, and the evidence will reveal that I'm not. Mm-hmm. You see the size of this? The Social Security yeah. number. Let's swing back to that a minute. A Latin phrase in the glossary of the uh, terms of legal control forward slash power. A 43-page document that I pretty well memorized. Took me two years to do it. The social security number is known in the Latin as sedes sacroram. It literally means the right of the Holy See to own property. That property, because that property actively is branded with that registered number. Stock man. You see where I'm going with this stock market. Everything comes back to man. 
man is an animal. I'll show you in the same document where in the Latin language in the ancient days of early, early Rome, which you're still living in, do not, don't let your technological benefits and your uh, whiz-bang automobile fool you. Nobody, nobody is past at best the year of 1350, and by and large were held in Rhodian law of 900 B.C. Welcome to the Mafia of the Sea. My point of this is that intent, which never changes, is still in play. The pirates then are the pirates now. Pirates on the sea law, pirates on the land law, does not matter. They grant themselves immunity and assume that you are just going to lay down and go along with the program. Because you're afraid of losing your benefits, the privileges, they put the golden carrot on the end of the string for you, and you spend all your time running around the racetrack trying to catch that thing, but you're happy with the chase. People have got to quit saying, what's in it for me? Or, oh my gosh, I'll lose everything I got. You're going to lose everything you've got if you don't stand. Their intent is the same and across the board. They're not going to divert. Never in history, never have I ever found where they diverted their intent. The only time it was ever thwarted was when the people stood to in, uh, let's say, 529 in the Qin Shang Dynasty subject and eliminated with wooden clubs the blooming evil ruler who was killing them by the thousands across China. That's the only times that evil ever yields is to a worse force than itself. You know how much I hate having conversations? People tell me, well, we know you're highly political. No, I'm not. I'm highly spiritual, and there is no spirit in politics but evil spirit. It's mal. Okay, not to change the subject, but what would you say to someone who, and I've heard this a thousand times, if I've heard it once throughout my lifetime. Johnny, if you don't vote, you have no if you have no right to bitch. If you don't vote, if you don't vote, you can't bitch. And I know that one, <laughs> one of the people that said that to me is probably listening right now. So pay attention. All right, I've given you a nice education, Randy, and I'm sure you have uh, memorized everything I've said. So I'll let you answer John's question. Start with number well, one. When... The answer when lies in number when... one. Okay, let me go back. Actually, I did write a couple notes down. Um, Number one was proscribement. Yes, what do you think is done to your name when you, Randy Shannon, full of your American fire, run down and register to vote? What happens to (laughs) your natural name? It is proscribed. Yeah. It's no longer you who's voting. It's what? A dead slave. Tell me that the vote of a dead slave has any effect. Right. So yeah. rush right out and vote now. You remember, the, the best of two evils is, uh, well, still evil. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. You know, so you everybody don't like, has to pull themselves out of that voter role. Go ahead, Ernie. I didn't mean to cut you off. You know, if we don't like living in the madness, we got to get out of it. I'll swing you back to the mm-hmm. Bible again, let's say. What's it say about Babylon? Does it say be a happy citizen of it, or does it say get the heck out of that camp? Yeah, get out. Get out. That means Mm -hmm. get out. It also says in the next verse, 
Leave the city behind you. Get away from its lights. Walk out into the heavy timber where it's dark. Look around for the ancient trails and follow them. Ask for more. When you do that as I do, you'll find very dang few footprints on them because you will be cast on the mercy of those who are still trapped in Babylon, and they will begin to view you as a cumbersome burden upon their forms of commerce. You will become a threat. You, you, me, I've become a threat to people's well-being because I'm me, and I, it's pricey to keep me. Let's just be honest about it. Nobody will put me to work because everybody believes they've got to fill out those worthless documents with the IRS, which never had any jurisdiction over them in the first place. But it's the belief system. Why do you think a judge will not discuss their oath with you? John Edwin Wright will answer that question for you. He pressed Magistrate Reynolds about the oath, and the magistrate told him three weeks ago, I cannot go into it. It is of a religious nature. Wait a minute. Isn't justice supposed to be unbiased? Where does religion fit into justice at here? Are we not here just to examine the facts? What's this have to do with a faith-based system of any kind? Isn't it hard evidence that rules the day? What kind of a cult am I in? This ain't a court. You see how quick that gets turned around? In a flash, mm-hmm. you become the plaintiff and the judge becomes the defendant, and you've got them on the hook. And what's their back door? A license handed to them by who? A competent authority. Who got their license from what? An even more competent authority that calls itself the body of perpetually immature bastards. Now, that's clear thinking for you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what is it that ends up at the bottom of the heap? All the crap. Okay. That's what mm-hmm. we're wallowing in. How do we get out of this mess? The only way I know of is to cut the ties clean. And it will cost you everything. Ask me. Hm. I've lost virtually everything but the value of my name and your honorable remarks as to how you feel about my stand and what I do in life. Everything else is either gone or on the edge. Hmm. Is there not, not enough people in your area that are standing? That There's the not enough there people is... in America standing. Yeah. No, there is because they don't want to take the time, and I, I will include myself in that amongst those people. You know, when I first started hearing about this from you, Randy, I was thinking to myself, holy buckets, what kind of crazy trip is she on now? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then as I, I started studying it and looking into it a little more, I move out here with Lisa, and then we run into Ernie and Janae. And uh, what a blessing that's been uh, because they've become friends, and also I'm becoming a lot more educated. He referred me to this book I've got sitting on my desk now. You know, something is wrong when. And it really breaks it down to the simplistic with big pictures, too, which I like. <laughs> that reminded me of my my reading is fundamental days. But anyway... <laughs> Um, well, there was a case. Well, we, sorry, go ahead, John. Well, we just don't have. Nobody wants to know this stuff. Nobody wants to take the time to get to know it, and that's why it's going to come down to the probably the one percent of us that do want to know it in this country. So go ahead, Randy. I'm sorry. And is, 
Well, there was a, a case I just wanted to really give evidence of what Ernie's talking about, where he said uh, man is animal, and, um, you know, there's a case, I want to say his name was Alfred Adask, um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but it was uh, Kissinger that said that military men are just dumb, stupid animals to be used as pawns in foreign policy. And then if you look at the tags that go around the military neck, uh, dog tags, they even say it, you know. Um, but then Alfred Adask had a case where him and a group of people, they had formed, you know, their their own private little organization, and they were making colloidal silver, and they were selling it. It was in the early days of that really kind of taking off. And I don't think there was any complaints. Nobody got sick. Everything was fine. But the government had come down on them. And I think the group was like seven people. Don't quote me because I, I read this case years ago. And every one of them was getting completely knocked down in court. And, you know, there was a couple, husband and wife. This was so stressful. Financially, they were completely destroyed. They lost everything they had. It tore their marriage apart. They went to prison, both of them. Everybody was getting fined, uh, I want to say, thousands, if not millions of dollars daily by this court. I think it was thousands. I want to say it was like 25000 a day. Alfred Adask went and studied the language, and he was reading the other people's court cases and he realized that in their verbiage, they said that they were man or other animals, something very close to, to that. I may not be quite right. And he went in there and said, I am a son of God. And his case is online. It might be alfredadass.com. But you can look at that and read his verbiage. And they dropped the case against him. He owed no fines. He walked free. He was the only one of all of the other partners that totally got out of it, and they let him go. And they were coming at him like pit bulls. They were getting long prison sentences over colloidal silver, by the way. <laughs> um, and so he just has his case proved it because he went in there and said, look, I'm not an animal. And he used scripture as his fight. And they honored that, and he walked. They did not go any further and drop their case on him. So Ernie's 100% right of how they feel. Kissinger's right out there in the open, and yet these men and women still join the military of this corrupt regime. And Kissinger, I mean, if they just look, he was, what, like the 55th or 56th, somewhere in there, um, the, the uh, United States Secretary of State. And he said that about the, 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 the men and women joining. So yeah, they, people just need to look. Yeah, they were getting ground up in Vietnam at that time. Yeah, I mm -hmm. was just saying, you can get a free education if oh. you come home with enough mind to accomplish it. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another case I uh, was shown online by a friend of mine where a fellow walked into the court. And uh, the court, the the private actor reads off the charges against the guy, and the prosecutorius starts his thing. This guy, who's the defendant, he says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." He says, uh, "Does does this all pertain to an animal?" And the prosecutor says, <laughs> "And the guy says, does this pertain to an animal?" And the prosecutor looks at the j judge, and the judge is already starting to snicker. And the prosecutor says, no, of course not. And the guy says, great, today I'm a deer. Goodbye. 
and the judge picks the <laughs> laughs and throws them on the floor in front of the bench and get him out of here. That but that is it, you know, and what, you know, what in the heck is the logical mind supposed to do with this depth of psychopathy on board when we believe that we have the fairest justice system in the world? Are you kidding me? America? Well, not America. America is my country. The United States is the corporation of 1871 for America that invaded our country staged a public rebellion, overthrew habeas corpus. There are no bodies of the slaves to produce. They have uh, shackled all the spirits and turned them all into legends. Snap bang. So how are we supposed to maintain faith in any facet of what clearly is the most demented form of a government, maybe of all time, and clearly of anywhere on earth, when it's every country that is under some form of oppression, courtesy, of the militaristic United States, a Zog government. Mm-hmm. And you know where that takes us. You know so what, what Zog are we going to do? Right? No, what is it? Zionist-owned government. Mm, yeah. You ever heard the word Zionist? Yeah. yeah. There's another whole subject all in itself right there, deep and treacherous waters. Three weeks ago, Putin said the Zionists had just dealt him a heavy blow in the interior of Russia. The North Khazar Caucasus Mountain region, wherein the most haughty, arrogant, backstabbing, throat-cutting race known in the annals of history traces its roots to. That's the soil where their seed erupted in history, adopting the facade adopting as a facade the Hebraic names of the tribes and claiming themselves to be that, while all along, the DNA is not. And in fact, the DNA of the Zionistic races is conclusively without any argument whatsoever. Psychopathic. It is an incomplete DNA. Stephen Quayle and Bozeman has done excellent work on it. Two or three other people have looked into this very deeply. I live pretty remotely, and uh, as I've said before, I don't do any uh, computer access. I'm simply a reader, a writer, and a thinker. And so I pick it up in book form and study it out as best I can for myself. But I don't have enough lives to cover everything that that I've gathered. (laughs) My curiosity is insatiable and see i want to i want to say something right here and i want you all to listen to me real carefully when it comes to the subject of psychopathy and we'll amend it with the subject of voting i learned from the annals of professional psychologists about the deadly dangers of a disease that is called nostalgia nostalgia is the hearkening back to the quaint old notions, ideas, remedies of an easier yesteryear. People who get trapped in nostalgia are known in the extreme cases to die because of it. They literally wish themselves into the grave. They begin to speak out the memories that their DNA 
has impressed into it from grandma and grandpa's day or when I was a kid or whatever. And they'll begin to speak it so much that the DNA will begin to resonate with the need to hear it spoken out loud. And so the call internally will go forth to the mind, cause those sounds to be emitted again that the body might feel better about itself. But the body won't feel better about itself because this kind of a need is internally created and it's of the immaterial type. And so the need never goes away, though the appearance of a remedy, which is speaking this out loud, is done more and more and more and more until people literally wish themselves into the grave nostalgically. Added to this is another phrase. It's called Heuronism, H-E-U-R-O-N-I-S-M, Heuronistic Heuronism. Heuronistic Heuronism is uh, a passion that is unbridled and a passion that reason cannot be found in. It's, it's illogical. They're just passionate for no apparent reason. When nostalgia and Heuronism are mixed together, and injected into a culture, that culture's done. That is the death knell of that culture. And this nostalgic heronism has been injected to every culture that the Zionists have ever inserted themselves into in all of history. And I'll take you back way into Isaiah on this and show you what it has to say. Now, granted, we got half of the story out of this, so thanks to the Constantinian uh, uh, mandates, let's say. But... What evidence there does remain, 53 times in the Old Covenant, 32 times in the New, never one time mentioned with favor, although the geographical location is looked upon with favor, but not the race. In fact, the race is vehemently denied in Isaiah 6 as ever even being created by what you and I might call God. He says there are a race of men from the East that I did not create, and they are always your problem. They've passed themselves off as your high IRS priests. They operate in your temples that you call banks. You practice your religion uh, called commerce while you serve your God called mammon. And you listen to them instead of me, your natural rights. It is to them you give credence, and it is they who kill you and bring you into bondage over and over and over because you won't listen to your instincts and do what is right. Hence Christ calling them a den of vipers. Bingo, bingo. Of their father, the devil. That's correct. And even further, hence the Christ banning any chance that they could enter into the quote-unquote kingdom of heaven. But yet John Hagee and many others are running around talking about partnering with Israel Oh, you mean ISIS raw Elohim? Right. So the facade continues, and these guys are getting rich off of this facade Uh, by by teaching this uh, dispensationalism, which I used to believe in, by the way, up until about 2008. And then I woke up. Yep. But, uh, my God, think of all the deceptions. Rude awakening, isn't it? it? It is, and sometimes you and Randy and I—I I think we've talked about this in private. Sometimes we wish we could just go back to sleep, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> to deal with the blue pill. Yeah, the blue pill. Oh, by the way, yeah. speaking of red pill, the blue pill. Yeah. You remember how uh, just a few years ago, on top of all the uh, cop cars, let's say, the bar mm-hmm. of lights 
was blue on one end, yellow in the middle, and red on the other? Not anymore. The yellow's gone. Blue pill, red pill. And by the way, springing off of that, I will take you into a subject that regards the physical color of court documents presented to you called presentments and what it means by the color of the paper. The, uh, the study of history will show you that in the year of 1540, the Vatican allowed for a trust of law to be established called Ecclesiastical Noahide Talmudic. It essentially covers the first five books of the Old Covenant, and in this trust is held in collocated form the filial bloodline of every people on the face of the earth, every individual, all the way back to their very beginnings. If in these filial lines there was nobility, then the person's name will be held in all lowercase. If in the family's lines there was lords and ladies and governors, but not necessarily bloodline nobility, then the names were held in media standing, which means the first letter of the first name begins with a capital and then is reduced to a minimus. Same with the house of, which is what your last name is. You are Shannon uh, of no, you are Randy of the House Shannon at this point. Okay. Okay. If, if the bloodline revealed no nobility, no lords, no governors, no barons, they always were just farm peasants, the names will be held in all capital letters, always. And it is on the Vatican's parchment scrolls to this very day in that very format. This is where this mess gets its spring off from. And it became incorporated as such. Uh, church above law is what this is all about. And the phoenix that I referred to earlier using Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, quote, the phoenix is perched on the high place at Rome on the top of the highest hill. And from there, the phoenix has the vanguard, the vantage point of watching over all of we, the rabbit people, the cultures of earth, otherwise known as the beasts of the field. Ah, and this one is supposed to be our overseer, good and beneficial, and out for the best of the peoples. If you know this one's actual history, you'll know better than that. So as we get to the closing minutes here now, what would your final message to the people listening out there be? Beware of the 1789 Article 1, Section 10, line 8, notice to the states that they cannot bring forward any claim or law that shall impair or inhibit obligation of contracts. Obligation of contracts is what binds the states through 1789 legalese to the appearance of the forbiddance of the title of Esquires, while the actuality of the Tona Act is that it was all the back door is always with the words without the consent of Congress. You can't have it without the consent of Congress, but with the consent of that body of uh, immature bastards, you can get that license. It's always tied back to the phrase, the consent of Congress, which is repeated 
I haven't mathematically collocated it yet in the body of the document, but I'll say an easy probably 18 times at this point. I wanted to know a little bit about it, and uh, John will give me the high sign here as we reach towards the end. I was curious the other night, just unto myself, and so I broke out my three copies of the document because I've got them all filled with homework, and there's so much homework in each one. I carry three of them around so I can research various homework. I wanted to know how many times the word law had been scripted by Payne and various others Beginning in the Declaration of Independence, 1776, the main body of the Constitution, and up through the first ten amendments, I found it with the capital L and then lowercase a-w 48 times in the Declaration and in the main body. I never found it with the capital L in the amendments. I found it 18 times with a lowercase l, a and w, lowercase as well, in the amendments, and no other change. How many times, I would ask you, do you think the word legal is written into either the, the preamble, the declaration, the body of the Constitution, or the amendments thereto from 1793 to 1992? How many times is the word legal pinned into those documents? Can you tell me? No. No, zero. <laughs> Thousands. I don't know. Which You're way? right. You're right. The word legal is not in it at all. Not in any of them. Not one time. And in fact, the only time I found anything close was one time was in the Sixth Amendment, and that's the word illegal. And it refers to the way uh, electorate shall be uh, counted. That's the only time. What in the heck are we doing giving credence to a British parliamentarian court system based on English law of the Great Bright One, known as Great Britain, that's what it means, the Great Bright One, what in the world are we doing entertaining these hordes of vultures called bar members who all bear title nobility, well, maybe not all, but a fair share of them bear title nobility, Esquire, and perhaps others, Esquire is most predominant, and yet try to fudge out of by saying, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, Esquire in America doesn't mean what Esquire does in Great Britain. The intent of the Tona Act says no title of nobility. It doesn't say you're hereby allowed to change the definition and water it down. It says there won't be any check mark without the consent of Congress. It's that body of immature bastards at play. They sabotage us, the people, at every turn, and they're bound to it. And the Republicanist Party is the one that is growing the national debt, so charged. They're the farmer in charge of the crop, and whatever the crop is, which happens to be debt, thanks to the Fraudulent Act of 1913, they're the party that's growing the debt, no matter how they appear contrary. Very, very well summed up, and wow. I'm still blown away. <laughs> Probably will be all night. So where can, besides YouTube, is there anywhere else they can find you? I know you talked about a, a joint website with Elias from Oath Keepers. Um, any, any word on that? Oh, uh, yes, sir. The website is not finished yet. It's nearing completion probably within the next two weeks. Uh, it will be the mentalmilitia.net, I do believe, is uh, the correct way to find it. Link uh, to the Montana Natural Man. A uh, trailer is there to introduce you to the idea of purchasing a DVD. 
that he has, uh, that Elias has uh, put together on me. Uh, it shall be what it shall be, and I would encourage you to listen closely. Check your words at the door, and the door is your lips. Think before you speak. The power of the tongue, as the book of Proverbs talks a lot about. <laughs> yes, sir. Randy, anything you want to promote before we head out? Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just give him a personal invitation to come speak on on one of my calls. So, you know, John, make sure you give me the contact info. And, um, you know, just Ernie, again, you know, it's my honor to talk to you and, and to be a part of this and, and you, John, and, and keep standing. Awesome information. Keep getting it out. I can't wait till your DVD or CD is out. I'll be one of the first to purchase. So make sure I know about it because uh, we'll promote it and um, get people to listen to it and, and spread the word about it. Well, thank you very much, and as always, I doff my old tri-horn hat to the American peoples. They're the best farmers on earth. They've just got to be woken up, and uh, my condolences to the family of Lavoy Finnicum. I absolutely stand in league. Amen. All right, well, with all that being said, I want to thank both of you for tonight. Randy, I thank you for calling in. It's always a pleasure. And uh, Ernie, I appreciate you coming over. This was uh, my first time with a guest right here, live in the studio. He said, I'm (laughs) alive. He said, I'm alive. You heard it here first. Right here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. I want to thank thank you all for tuning in. I know we didn't have a lot of callers tonight. In fact, Randy was the only one. But that's the way it goes. Some nights I get callers. Some nights I don't. Just the way it goes. So, but I do anticipate a lot of downloads on this show. A lot of them. Yeah, Randy, this you'll is going to get a lot. Right? Yeah, I'm going to totally put it out there as soon as you get it to me. Just get me whatever uh-huh. link I need. I will get it to you shortly after we end the show. Outstanding. You guys have a super night. And uh, get me in touch. And I'm honored to have been on here with you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, to everybody. And we'll see you next time right here on the Johnny Storm Show. There shall be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, and pestilences, men's hearts failing them for fear for that which is coming upon the earth. Where do you look? Where do you turn? Where will you get the truth? You turn to the Johnny Storm Show, where you will find truth, and the truth will make you free. Welcome to the Johnny Storm 